Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three hours of the very best Reddit revenge stories of the past year. My boss suspended me for his negligence, so I ruined his life. For a little context, I work at a vape shop, which is already in a rough space due to regulations and laws the government is putting on us. Due to this, we were well aware that certain products we sold and made were highly illegal and enforceable at any time. I am a 25-year-old man, and I've been working at my job for a little over a year and a half. The owner of the company is the one who hired me, and she was the biggest sweetheart in the world. Unfortunately, she was forced out of her company by her son. He's the type of person who believes that he's always right, and if you don't agree with him, he will completely ignore you or fire you. He literally forces mum into retirement by threatening to unalive himself and continues to use that card every time she even says she wants to come and visit. Last winter, we had a massive snowstorm. Getting to work was rough, but we were told that we had to come anyway. We get there and the snow isn't plowed from the parking lot because he didn't want to pay the guy to do it, so we had to. Due to the lot being absolutely massive, we couldn't get it all done in time for us to help customers. As they came and went, we noticed the snow being patted down into the ground and essentially turning into a slip and slide. Of course, he didn't do anything about it and asked me and another co-worker to clear all the garbage out of the other side of the building. When I did, I slipped and hurt myself. I didn't file for workers' comp, but I told them I'd need to rest myself while at work. The next shift, I sat almost the entire shift, and because I couldn't do anything, I sat on my phone, only to get up to help customers. The next day, my manager tells me he got out of a meeting with the owner's son, and I was suspended for a week, five shifts. As I'm a college student and rent an apartment and have car payments, I couldn't afford to lose five days of pay. I marched into his office and laid it out that either he fires me so I can collect unemployment or unsuspend me. He told me neither was happening and that he was going to use me as an example to the rest of the employees. I was fuming and cussed him out. He doesn't like confrontation, so he shortened my suspension to get me out of the office. He then treated me poorly and singled me out for everything everyone else also does, but I was the only one being punished. Then comes the fact that he wanted to reconcile by forcing me to do handyman work around the place, but not giving me the tools, equipment, or training to do or use any of these objectives. This was the tipping point for me. So, the revenge. Due to being constantly singled out, I came to learn that everyone else was unhappy with this fact. I learned all the dirty little secrets about the company, including illegal products, labor violations, tax violations, etc. I used these secrets that I learned to call multiple government agencies, FDA, OSHA, DOL, and report him by name. First, OSHA came and did an inspection on my day off. He told everyone they only cited him for a small violation and he was good other than that. I was obviously angry at that, but a few weeks later, I got a packet in the mail telling me he got cited for everything and he was getting massive fines. I then get called into the office again with the manager who told me I was suspended. He proceeded to tell my manager that he was getting demoted for not writing me up more and that I was no longer getting my raise until I fixed my attitude. This, of course, was right after he said, I don't care that you called OSHA. This little act is known as retaliation which is illegal to do to people who called a protected agency like OSHA. He refused to even look at me at this point because if he did anything, that would imply he was punishing me for calling them. I would have a lawsuit at that point to destroy him. Now to today, another day off for me and I get a text from a co-worker at 11am. That message was, FDA is here, the manager quit 
and it's crazy the fda and irs came rolling in full force in black trucks and suvs they came in and raided the place seizing all illegal products and all the paperwork pertaining to the business they're still there as i write this so hopefully there'll be more to come but knowing how this works out in most cases i won't have a job much longer and will be on unemployment wow what an incredible start to this episode and unfortunately at the time of recording we have no more information an update if it comes will be with you guys in a future episode don't you worry but that's pretty crazy you've caused a raid and destruction of your own company exceptional stuff i mean of course fully deserved but imagine the look on the manager's face when you see those black trucks and suvs rolling in like oh my god i'm done mock the disabled justice is served many years later this is a story about a pos receiving their deserved karma several years later many years ago i worked in a lovely career of retail it's sadly normal for there to be a constant flow of shop scum that make you despise their existence And there are those that are so horrific that what they do is burned into your mind forever. Fortunately, one of these unforgettable moments allowed me to extract my revenge. I'd only worked in retail for one year in this newly built store and was starting to settle in. Getting to know the great customers and understanding that some people shouldn't be allowed outside, which being a shy person who hates conflict wasn't the best, but at least one of my customers was an absolutely adorable elderly lady who always made time to talk and was an absolute joy to be with. It had been some weeks since I'd last seen her, But one morning, I see her car park into the disabled parking bay, as she already has a blue batch. Only this time, she hobbled out of the car on crutches with a pot on her leg. I didn't have the chance to talk to her yet when a works truck, which did not have a blue disabled badge, pulled into the disabled space next to her and out jumped an early 40s builder with their teenage kid. Well, this little old lady was having none of this and must have absolutely massive balls of steel and stood up to this ignorant builder, politely informing them that they shouldn't be parking there as it's for the disabled and he doesn't have a badge. What happened next, I can't forget. This builder decided the best course of action was to humiliate and insult this poor elderly lady on crutches, accuse her of faking her disability and claim the cast on her leg was a fake and that she probably milks the benefit system for as much money as possible then walks off putting on an overdramatic fake limp laughing away with their teenage kid whilst the old lady stood there in shock sadly being one who lacks courage i did absolutely nothing about it and that would stick with me forever i tried feebly to ask a manager later to do something about it but they didn't care or want to get involved for years i worked in this store always seeing this scum builder come in and out fortunately i never interacted with this scum builder but I saw them often, and every time I did, I would always remember what they had done vividly. I would still see them park in the disabled base, and even got to the point where I would recognize them by the large blue Mercedes they drove. Seven years later, I was still working in the store, and this scum was still parking in disabled, looking like an absolute idiot. Yet this year, I was blessed with good fortune and our store was outfitted with some absolute joyful equipment. Due to the high number of complaints, our store had set up a company to deal with the parking violations. But instead of having external parties coming in and ticketing cars, the staff of the store were given the ticketing machine and it was our duty to go to the car park and record any cars that violated the parking rules. This was all done digitally and there'd be no paper tickets upon the cars. This was brilliant. As soon as I found out, I knew what I was going to do. It didn't take long for me to learn how to use the machine. 
and it certainly didn't take long for the opportunity to get revenge. And so it began. There were three rules for parking, and if you break these rules, there is a lovely £80 fine in return each time it happened. The first rule, no parking in disabled without a badge. And I know well that the scum builder is certainly violating this rule, and it wasn't long until I saw him next. And as soon as he entered the store, I quickly scurried out with the ticketing machine, and lo and behold, there was the oversized blue Mercedes in the closest disabled bay with no badge. I smashed those car details in with some well-shot photos and sent the report off so that they would receive a lovely letter of their fine that they would have to pay. But that is not enough though. Fortunately, it takes weeks for them to finally receive the ticket, which grants me the opportunity to constantly ticket their parking violations. Because as you would expect, this scum would always park in disabled and as I worked front of store, I would always know when they'd parked. After ticketing their car dozens of times, the scum unfortunately learnt their lesson, as their oversized blue Mercedes no longer appeared in disabled parking bays. But, as you expect, the scum would still be scum, and they would find their new parking space inside child parking. Rule 2. Don't park inside child parking without a child. Had this scum gotten enough, I thought? Of course not. They haven't learned their lesson and continue to be a complete idiot and park in the child parking, which we didn't have many spaces for. At this point, I knew all their car details by heart and would gleefully fill out the ticket machine as I skipped over to their car, violating the child parking, and take the photos needed for them, including shots of their car seats that bear no child seats in them. And as it became routine, this once again carried on for a few weeks, with more tickets being created and eventually they start receiving the fines. Fortunately, me being me, I am completely invisible to others and often overlooked, and I've yet to have been seen or caught. But as all good things must eventually come to an end, when the scum came into the shop, their blue turd automobile was no longer there in child parking or disabled. Has the scum finally learnt their lesson? Would you be surprised if they had not, as it didn't take me long to find them? Rule 3. You must park inside a marked bay. And what a surprise, the scum still manages to screw this up. They'd park over the line, taking two spaces up. Well, guess what? That's a job for me and my ticket machine. Trying to park inside taxi parking, but can't fit the big ass car in it? Boom, that ain't inside a marked bay. And ka-ching, another ticket and fine for thee. Have one single wheel slightly over the white line of the bay? Well, guess who technically broke the rule? That's right, scumbag did. And there goes a few more weeks of fun, until eventually the scumbag runs out of ways that they can possibly break the rules, and our company hires externally to start ticketing cars. So my beloved weapon of justice goes to rest. Now I know what people are probably going to say, that all these fines are not enforceable because of blah blah blah, but I honestly don't care for a few reasons. Firstly, I'm being paid to do this, so either way my time or money isn't wasted. Secondly, it did have an effect, as they repeatedly change their parking habits. And thirdly, even if they don't end up paying, they're still gonna spend an absolute load of time and effort trying to overturn the tickets again and again, having to constantly be harassed by mail. Overall, if the fines are counted separately and added up, they would have received thousands of pounds worth of fines building up over time for being scum. Cherry on the top? About three years later, I walk by this piece of scum in the car park 
and watch as they scream at some innocent dude in a high-vis jacket accusing them of being the one giving them all the parking fines now this put me at peace knowing this must have seriously got to them and cost them to still be raving mad after three years you know the only bad part of this story is that the fines had to end i mean it was gonna happen it was inevitable but my word imagine this just happened for years and years and these scumbags never found out until they were hit with like i don't know a fifty thousand pound fine or something that is the only way the story could have been improved it is kind of crazy though how one bad act this scumbag abusing a disabled person for no reason has led to this one person op seeking the best possible revenge and it causing them years literal years of hardship it is pretty poetic i've got to say don't mess with an engineer i worked for a company that provides specialized equipment used in manufacturing to protect my anonymity i'll have to be vague about what exactly this machine does during my time working in this field i got to know many clients who would need these machines installed and serviced one of these customers were called jake i later left the company to do a different job but Jake apparently kept my number. One afternoon, I got a call from Jake that they wanted a new unit installing and another unit needed maintenance and wanted to know if I was available. I let him know that I'd left the company, but that I could pass him on to someone who could help. He tells me he'll pay 2x my current rate to install the unit over the weekend. He lets me know that the company has increased the rates for installation and the company just can't afford it. The instructions they sent over just aren't clear enough and their engineers are scratching their heads trying to figure it out. He begs me to consider it, and I agree. For more context, installing this unit can take a good few hours, or up to a day on your own. The company gives you two options. You can either pay for an engineer to come and install it, or you can save money and they'll send instructions so the customer's own engineers can install it. The instructions aren't easy to follow, and it's company policy that if someone has started to install the equipment, The supplier wouldn't get involved since they couldn't verify that any of the pieces were broken. This will be important later. I drive down on the weekend and they show me the boxes of equipment. I set to work and I make good progress installing the units. Around six hours in and I'm stopped by Jake who greets me. I let him know I'm nearly finished and he tells me, sorry, but they just don't have the budget to pay you. He understands my frustration, but his engineers can take it from here. To say I was frustrated was an understatement. I wanted revenge. There's a small button inside the unit that changes the unit into test mode. This is done to perform maintenance on the unit, but it's impossible to configure the unit with this button pressed. It's only possible to reach this button using a pin, so it's not easily pressed during installation. Because of this, the installation instructions don't mention it. There's no real way of telling the equipment is in test mode. It just won't work normally. I think you can guess where this is going. I click the button, collect my things, and leave. Monday morning, I get a call from Jake. I declined. I knew my old company wouldn't get involved since I'd already started installing the units. I knew his engineers would never figure it out, so I just had to let him stew. A few days later, with many missed calls, I finally pick up. Jake is furious. He asks me where the hell I've been and why I haven't been picking up the phone. He tells me they cannot figure out how to configure the machine and they need my help. I tell him, why is this my problem? You won't pay me. He told me he was sorry and they'd work something out if I could just get there as soon as possible. I told him, oh no, you're going to pay me £7,000 up front before I do anything. I'd never felt this powerful before. He screamed at me for a bit and hung up. 
He called back a day later after saying he's sorry for how he acted and said that if I could come and fix it, he would pay me in a totally defeated tone. He tried to fight it, saying he'll pay when I was done, but I was having none of it. After a bit of back and forth, he agrees to pay me. The money hit my account and I came in the next day. The look of confusion on his face when I took out a pin and changed the unit from test mode was priceless. It was even more priceless seeing his reaction to me packing up my tools and leaving after only 20 minutes of configuring. That is the easiest £7,000 I've ever made. Don't try to mess with a professional problem solver. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that is some great karma right there. If you've instructed a man to work on something for a agreed fee for hours and then not paid him, you deserve the worst. Simple as that. Like, it doesn't get any more scummy. I know we talked a lot about scums in the first story, but it gets no less scummy in my opinion than literally agreeing a price for someone, saying, yeah, do all the work, and then we're just a little bit left at the end saying, oh, don't worry, my guys can take it from here. We're not going to pay you. I actually couldn't afford it. Scum. No drinks, no tip. So, I'm working at a huge party, concert, miscellaneous event locations, and I'm the guy responsible for refilling the bars with drinks every time the bartender mails an order and also picking up the used glasses and pints to bring them to the washing station that we have. In general, I'm the guy that helps the bars running there. Sometimes there are two or three of us in a shift, but other times not. There can be nights that there are five bars open and the place is full of around 3,000 people. Just to give you a taste of what the job looks like when the place is packed on a typical Friday or Saturday night, imagine that you have to carry and deliver around 20 beer kegs each with a weight of 65 kilograms, that's 130 pounds, and around 60 cases of beer and soft drinks just when you start your shifts. When something goes out at the bar, the bartender makes a new order that I have to deliver. And this goes on all night long from 5 p.m. to 6 a.m. And sometimes there are goer parties till 11 a.m. Also, just to give another taste of how big this place is, during a normal shift, according to my phone, I'm walking 28 kilometers. That's 17 miles. What? Where I come from, we call this job the runner. The unwritten law here is like this, that each bartender has to give 20% of their tip that they make each night to the runner. Because without a runner, you would have no drinks to serve. Nobody can really know who is really giving the 20% of their tip, but that's another story. But every bartender is giving something, and usually it's a lot, and all sides are happy. A new guy comes in, and the staff manager explains to him this unwritten rule, saying exactly these words. You don't want to have problems with any of the runners, so be fair. Now, when you've been doing this job for a while, you will know approximately if the tip you will be getting is good or not. So, fast forward. It's a huge metal festival with all bars open, three different stages and outdoor bars, etc., plus after-show parties. The place is packed like there is no tomorrow. This festival happens every year and it's one of the best shifts, even though it's a lot of work, around 17 hours at that, Yes, it's a lot, but walking home with a thousand tip is worth it. So, this new guy has a spot at a very good selling bar. He was providing and delivering drinks there like crazy. After a long shift when everything is done and they do their calculations, he brings the money to the treasury, looks at me, and says, cold-blooded, thank you, have a good night. Tonight was a good night to work, and walks away without giving me my tip. That was it, folks. I kept doing my job every time he had a shift at one of the bars, like nothing happened, and I was just waiting for a full pack night to come. And finally, 
After a week, it was the time. Again, the place is fully packed. His first orders arrive in my tablets. Sadly, I was too busy to deliver though. One hour passes and he tries to call me on my phone. I pick up standing next to a subwoofer. One and a half hours go by and a second order arrives from him. I didn't even deliver the first one. Sadly, I was again too busy. Then, after another half hour, the shift manager calls me on the radio. The shift manager was also doing this job before getting a better position there. Hey, what the fuck is going on? Why has he got no drinks to sell? I'm busy with the rest of the bars. The guests can go to the other bars, I reply. Are you serious? That guy can only sell water and everything else is empty. And then I reply, he can sell water, but no one tips a bartender for a water, right? Cue a small pause on the radio. Yep, you guessed right. I'm sending this idiot home. Positive. You see, this wouldn't be that bad if this guy was genuinely making a mistake and didn't realize that this was the culture, but he's been explicitly told by your staff manager that this is what people do. And also, he knows how important the role you play is as his runner. Without him, as you say and as we saw, he doesn't serve anything because he's got nothing to serve. The fact that he was explicitly told, you need to do this, and then still didn't do it and said, thank you for your work and that was it that is shocking now guys before i end today's episode for you loyal viewers and listeners that always watch at the very end of my episodes every single time listen i love you first of all and i know who you are and i appreciate you a lot i thought i'd chuck in one extra little nuclear revenge story just for you guys if you clicked on this video this episode and you watched the first two minutes and then you clicked off well you didn't know there was some nuclear revenge in this but just to reward you lot for watching the whole thing, here we go. This is r slash nuclear revenge. My grandmother almost killed my mother's first fiance. My grandmother told me this story and I wanted to share it. This all happened in 1985. So this was before security cameras were a household thing. Plus this happened in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. My grandmother, Clara, told me that when my mum, Angela, turned 19, she got engaged to a man named Dick. That's his actual name, by the way. Clara noticed that he was very controlling, i.e. she couldn't use her phone, the landline, and he forbid her from going to family events. Clara's final straw was when my mum called her in the middle of the night, crying, saying she couldn't do it anymore and that he had been beating her. By this point, they'd been together for almost two years and had my older brother. Clara told my mum to go to my great-grandfather's house and stay there but tell Dick that she was going to her house. My mum did as she was asked and Clara waited for him. He eventually came in the middle of the night, yelling that Angela needed to come home and stop acting like a child. Clara told Dick that Angela was inside. He went in and Clara came in behind him and hit him over the head with a bat that she'd set beside the inside of the door. Dick fell to the floor and Clara hit him several more times in the legs and arms, breaking one of his arms and fracturing a rip when she was done she told him to never come near her daughter or he would be in a ditch next he never came back i'm pretty sure he burned my mum's stuff but she didn't care and there we go a little nuclear revenge reward i guess for watching the entirety of this episode i don't really know if i can call a story like that a reward but hey was definitely nuclear i mean if that is the only way to stop abuse and domestic abuse even in the modern day i know this was 1985 but come on that's not a long time ago then what's this world come to it's a disgrace i mean fair play to, to your grandma for doing that but my word the fact that she had to do that just to stop someone from domestically abusing someone is insane 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He really shouldn't have touched her there. Backstory. This happened quite a few years ago, and I just got reminded of it by accident. My girlfriend had a fun story about her sparring session today. The story still makes me cringe when thinking about it. You'll soon see why. So I asked if I could share it with you guys and girls. In my opinion, this is as pro as it gets. Ooh. In contrary to some of my other posts, this one will be short and simple, and somewhat uncomfortable for us male readers. My girlfriend and I first met at work. Things clicked a bit, but we never exchanged private info. Unfortunately, we also lost track of each other but met again at a train station several years later And we've been dating ever since that day Every weekend one of us goes over to the others and we spend the whole weekend together Sometimes a little more as one can hopefully imagine. We also do our shopping together It seems only fair to split the costs a bit and i'll take shopping with my girlfriend over shopping alone with my earbuds in any day of the week So the incidents it was a normal friday My girlfriend came over. I picked her up from the bus station and we decided to go and get some groceries on our way back to my place. We grabbed several things, including the very much needed beer for a Friday evening, and I also treated us to some snacks. When we get to the till, my girlfriend has a surprise for me. I'll pay if you bag up our stuff. Normally we split costs, but sometimes we also do this because why not? I enter the aisle first. Then comes the cart, which is pushed by my girlfriend. And when there's enough space, we start unloading the car and place our stuff on the band. The people in front of me pay, grab their stuff, and leave. I greet the cashier, take a few steps, and I feel the cart softly getting pushed into me, in hindsight. Then things get really weird. The guy behind my girlfriend suddenly collapses. He lets out a loud oomph moan and nearly doubles over. I'm shocked. When I turn around, I can see him grabbing the till, just to keep himself up. Something is not right with that guy. Sir, are you okay? The cashier worriedly asks. And that's when I suddenly start to notice that my girlfriend isn't surprised nor worried in the very least. With an obviously fake look of surprise, at least it looked fake as heck to me, I knew something was up then, she let out a worried, oh dear, I think he must have accidentally hit that pole over there, maybe full force. She said this while pointing to the iron fence which keeps the aisles to the tills separated But they're so far apart There's no way that anyone would just hit that and hurt themselves Both me and the cashier are pretty surprised when she tells us this But sure enough the guy behind her now starts coughing Gasps some more and is obviously in pain somehow He manages to stutter something in the likes of Yes, i've been stupid (coughs) Don't worry i'm okay The cashier eventually gets back to ringing up our items. I bag everything and my girlfriend, the sweetheart that she is, pays for the whole lot. So, what happened? Yeah, that's the first thing I asked as well once we got out of the supermarket while dragging our groceries between us. First, she asked me not to get mad. Strange, but okay, I guess? So, as we were unloading the cart, that guy had come behind her really close and thought it was fun to squeeze my girlfriend's behind. 
That's a very big no-no My girlfriend does not appreciate people just touching her and she will retaliate if it happens Especially with something like this Unfortunately for that doofus my girlfriend is quite experienced with martial arts It started as a means of self-defense classes mandated by her father But because her sister took a really serious interest in the whole thing The both of them took this way beyond just self-defense It also didn't help him out that one of his feet touched one of my girlfriend's feet Thus making her fully aware where he was roughly standing behind her and specifically after moving her feet She also realized that his legs were somewhat apart So she pushed the cart somewhat forwards to cover for her bending over a bit And then delivered a very quick backwards kick that landed straight between the guy's legs She then quickly retreated her leg fake stumbling over something by holding onto the car and pushing it a bit further than normal And then acted all surprised as if she had no clue as to what just happened If it wasn't for the fact that we had been quite close for several years already at that time She would have definitely fooled me as well and considering the meek reactions of mr. Creep I think he got the message somehow If you ask me, he was lucky that she didn't wear heels that day because trust me, that wouldn't have stopped her first reaction in the very least. Not after that kind of assault. Being a guy myself, ugh, I can't even imagine how bad that must have felt, but it couldn't be good. And guess what? I wouldn't care less either. Screw that guy. Wow. Well, I think I speak for all men when I say that that was very just punishment. There's nothing more painful than a good old kick to the balls, in my opinion. And it was very much deserved. You can't get away with that. And fair play to your girlfriend for standing up for herself and doing that. Very much justified. This guy is a creep. Seriously, who in their right mind just says, oh, I'll just squeeze this person's bum. I'm sorry. Look, it's good enough that she kicked you, but you're lucky you got away without an assault charge because that is disgraceful. Saved my friend's job and burned my creep of a boss. When I was in college some 10 plus years ago, I worked for my university as a resident advisor in a dorm. It was a student job that afforded me a place to live in exchange for managing a floor in one of the student housing buildings on campus The job itself was fairly basic and consisted of helping students with housing issues Maintaining an office hour monday to friday having a duty weekend once a month and enforcing university policy While I initially took the position for the housing the dorm community aspect ended up being fairly enjoyable Most of the policies of the university housing were common sense no loud music after 9 p.m. or running in the building, etc. If someone was found breaking the rules, you tell them to stop and document it in case the issue became a habitual. There were some rule infractions that also came with fines, such as smoking inside or damaging physical property. One of the policies that had a fine attached was getting locked out of your dorm. If you needed to be let back into your dorm, the university would fine you $25. And if you actually lost your key, then you would be charged $500 to recall the door lock. The first year I was an RA, I never charged a student to get back into their dorm. I thought it was a bad policy. As being a poor student myself, I understood what $25 could mean to someone. The building's resident manager, my boss, at that time was about to graduate and didn't care if we charged them to get into their room. And so everything was good. However, in year two, I had my first meeting with the other RAs and our new RM. We will call him Doug. Doug was one of those people who was immediately overly friendly. And because he was a friend, felt like he could come into your personal space. Stuff like touching your shoulders or arms while talking to you It was in this first meeting that he assigned out all of the master keys for the building He had two keys for each floor which were inside a zipper binder along with a key log Consisting of the key's serial number and the ra it was assigned to 
This will become important later. He gave us each one of the keys and then placed the second on a duty set of keys, which were checked out on the weekend by the pair of RAs on duty. While the university policies for a student losing a key were bad, the policies for an RA losing a master key are worse. If you were to lose a master key, you would be terminated, thus losing your housing and be fined the cost to recore each door on your floor that's twelve thousand dollars while we already knew this i recall how much time doug specifically spent reiterating this fact to us in this first meeting and how he was no longer responsible for the keys since we now had them several weeks into the semester i'm conducting duty rounds in the building with another ra whom i'm friends with we'll call her Brittany. Brittany is very smart, assertive, and always a laugh, so I loved working duty with her. This day, however, Brittany seems a bit down. After a bit of prodding, she confides in me that Doug has been making her uncomfortable and that he kept touching her. I believed I understood what she meant because I also disliked how touchy he was and how close he would get to me when we spoke. But that's not what she meant. I talked to her about reporting him, but she didn't want to, presumably since Doug was one of the department's golden boys. Brittany said she'd had enough of him, so she told him off and didn't think it would happen again, but asked me to stick around her anytime he was around. After learning what Brittany told me, I asked another female RA, who I was friends with, what she thought of Doug. While she didn't claim he'd done anything to her, she did express that she didn't like being alone with him. I decided he was a creep, and I became very brief any time I had to speak with him. I also made sure I would stick around after staff meetings until everyone left and would linger in the office doorway if Doug called one of the girls back. The year goes on, and I continue doing my job just as I had the year before. I document major and minor incidents, but I don't ever document letting students back into their dorms. One weekend, I'm on duty and get a notification on the duty pager. Yeah, a pager from a student. I call them and they're locked out on another floor. I grab the duty set keys and head to let them back into their dorm. In the hallway, I run into Doug, who asks what I'm doing. We have a brief exchange. I tell him I'm letting a student into their room and I continue about my way, thinking nothing of it. The following Monday, I'm called into the office. I'm asked about the student I let into his room and how often I have to let people in. I'm honest and I tell him that I never charge the students and I do it several times a month Apparently because the students are informed of the policy and their responsibilities when they accept the keys Doug considers my failure to charge them to be theft from the university He'd apparently reviewed all of the reports submitted under my user id And seen that i'd never charged anyone for being let back into their dorm and told me that he was referring me for disciplinary action The disciplinary action didn't go far Or at least no one higher up ever spoke to me about that situation for me though This drew a line that only served to reinforce my opinion of doug school continues much as it had a few months before the end of the year I am again doing duty rounds with Brittany who is clearly upset Apparently a few nights prior she had a late night and a few drinks with friends Early the next morning, a student had awoken her from her drunken stupor because they'd locked themselves out of their dorm. Still half asleep, she grabbed her master key and let the student in. When she returned to her room, instead of putting the key up, she had instead set it on the counter where it had then fallen into the trash. Awake the next day and not realizing what happened, she took her trash to the dumpster and it was gone to the dump before she knew what had gone on. Brittany couldn't afford to lose her job, housing, and be fined $12,000. 
So she was at a complete loss as to what to do after considering the consequences of reporting what had happened and deciding that that was a bad course of action We brainstorm and decide that we need to find a way to make a new key without anyone knowing We didn't have long to act either as each day ran the risk of a random key check by Doug The university keys are made on a key blank that are not readily available at local shops Presumably for this exact reason So we scoured the internet looking for a copy and ended up finding one that looked like a match However, the website's picture was just a silhouette of what the keys outline looked like So we weren't 100% sure It was though our best option. So we ordered it a plan was born With our key blank en route, we decided that we would take the second master key on the duty set midweek when it's not being used and take it somewhere to make a copy. The next problem was once we had a working copy of the key, we would still need to find a way to get the key serial number back onto the copy. Luckily, Brittany knew someone with hammer stamps we could use to imprint the numbers on the key And I somehow remembered the binder that doug had with the serial numbers written inside Because doug's office was across the hall from his room He could always hear if anyone was in there since Brittany had bad experiences with doug We didn't want him to find her in there alone. So it fell to me I waited till nights on one of my duty weekends and go into the office I opened the door as quietly as I could And I snuck in leaving the door only slightly ajar so that no one in the hall could immediately see in I was only halfway through looking for the binder when I heard doug's door open Sure enough doug steps in and asks what i'm doing I know my heart was racing, but I come up with what I thought was a believable lie I told him I had to use the university computer in his office to file an instant report because my laptop wasn't working The lie was good enough and he bought it leaving me alone to continue my search It only took a few minutes before I found the binder and got the key number assigned to Brittany I went ahead and filed a bogus report on a minor infraction in case Doug checked and I was out of there Each day we waited to see if the key blank would arrive The plan hinged on this key and it was exhilarating feeling the plan beginning to come together When it finally came it was a perfect match Except for the large key brand stamped across it There wasn't a way to cover it up and it was too noticeable to pass as a real key The whole plan seemed to fall apart We decided we'd still make a copy on this branded blank So that if Brittany needed to use the key She could do so without being discovered as to not having her master key Brittany waited till midweek and took the second master key off of the duty set to use to make a copy Once she had it, we talked over the plan and joked about how nice it would be if we could just change the numbers on the second key to match the serial number of the first. While that seemed like it probably wouldn't work, we decided to look at how many numbers would have to be changed. It was zero. In our first meeting, where Doug had assigned us keys, where he'd stressed how we would be fined if we lost those keys, he had accidentally issued Brittany his copy. We realized we didn't have to do anything else and Brittany put her master key in her lockbox. After two weeks, no one had noticed that the duty set was missing a key. Because we were tired of waiting, we had a student pretend to get locked out while Brittany was in town. The responding RA didn't have a clue and was confused why none of the keys worked and they called up Doug. Doug couldn't seem to get any of the keys to work either And so he called Brittany back to the dorm so that he could use her master key a task in which she was happy to assist When everyone realized a master key was missing the big bosses got involved There was a complete building search a search of dorm rooms and multiple interviews of each RA 
None of the RAs knew anything but Brittany and I, so we feigned ignorance along with everyone else. I believe they suspected Brittany initially, but when she was able to produce her correct master key, their demeanor with her drastically changed. The floor got recorded as you would expect. They never did figure out where that key had gone and thus couldn't justifiably charge anyone for the incidents We had a meeting where they basically chewed all of us out about keys and the importance of their security While the meeting was for us all a heavy emphasis was clearly directed towards doug Apparently as part of his position He was required to keep a key log each day to make sure that the keys on the duty set were accounted for Unfortunately, he had not been doing so and there was no way to tell how long the key had been missing Like he had told me when he wrote me up This was important since those keys were assigned to him and he had been informed of the policy and his responsibilities when he accepted the keys since he was the boss's golden boy they didn't fire him like we were all warned would happen doug did end up getting a substantial fine though and while i don't know the exact amount i do know he was incredibly upset about it the year was almost over and doug got moved to another building the next year so i never had much more to do with him i do know though that he ended up losing his job due to some incident involving another female ra so not only was doug a complete jobsworth and just a horrible employee slash colleague to work with he was also a creep it's great stuff isn't it and i've got a question for you lot and let me know in the comments down below if you agree with me i think there is a slim but very likely chance that doug the person in the second story could also have been the same creepy man from the first story now look we're never gonna know and let's be realistic it's almost impossible but who knows it could be the same person doug you are a fiend and i hate you boss's boss threatens to fire me I accept and get himself and his friends fired. This whole story happened in 2021 and ended in October. Dang, time flies. And it's something that puts a Cheshire smile on my face. Background. In January 2021, I began working for a very big American company in Europe that was and is in the energy sector. At the factory plant I began working at, the parts of gas turbines get assessed for restoration and reworked so they can get used again. Each single part would cost several thousand when produced new and it would hold for like a decade or so Reworking cost about a quarter of that and the part would be good for another eight to ten years with more inspections Of course for safety the customers would pay about half or three quarters of the cost of a new part And since we're talking two to eight K per single part and a gas turbine containing thousands of pieces We're speaking several million for each gas turbine the customer would save a good chunk And of course, the company was sitting on a golden goose. Over the decades, that meant that the facility where the stuff was reworked had an absolute uncontested income without much competition since the parts were their own design and production. And that was a win-win for both customer and company. Over time though, that led to a problem. That competence, invention, or even honesty were not really needed by the management of the facility anymore. As long as the workers stick to their already developed and tested processes and did their job, money would keep flowing in, regardless of what the office did or did not. You can see where this is going. Now, the setup. So, I was hired there as part of quality control. Specifically, I was to operate a 3D computer-managed measuring machine. Gas turbines get, as you can imagine, pretty hot and they spin fast. And a decade of heat combined with dynamic stress has the nasty habit of deforming stuff. We can't have that for sure. So you have to measure the stuff really precisely so that the production knows what section of which piece needs reworking or if a piece is too out of form to be used again at all. The operation of such a machine is not too complicated. Put the piece into the bracket, clamp it down, load the correct model and start the program. 
you get the measurement report then as a text file an excel as well as a pdf the pieces usually rotary blades nearly always came in sets 24 to 216 depending on the size when all are measured you compile all the reports the machine made into one excel with a somewhat complicated method It wasn't hard. I learned all that in a week. That machine was immensely important for the facility, running in two to three shifts per day, six days per week. About 80% of all pieces that went through the reworking process had to be measured at least twice. As nearly anyone with a technical background can guess, operating a machine and understanding what it's actually doing are two big different things. When I started, there were only three guys that understood the machine properly, as well as a technician, Vladimir, who could actually fix codes or reprogram a 3D model if there was a problem. Vladimir, however, was the technician for the entire facility, so was very busy. And when he had to come over, his time would need to be paid for by the departments. That's something the bosses didn't encourage, so to say. Of the three guys who knew the machine, Antonio is important. He'd been working there for a few centuries at least, knew every nook and cranny, and while being a simple worker, if stuff went wrong, he was the guy you turned to. He had a bit of a short temper and very blunt language, but he was honest, open, and very fair. I, myself, am not the most social person. I always held back with a brutal honesty and i take my professional colds attitude a bit too seriously i guess in general if people share my principles of honesty fairness and taking responsibility seriously then we get along great but with people that are less trustworthy i basically turn into an ice block Not perfect, I know, but hey, I don't work in retail for good reason. So, the thing is, despite some heated arguments, Antonio and me really got along swimmingly. What no one knew was that Antonio had, over the decades, collected such a backlog of days off, overtime and whatnot, that he could retire two years early and he was 63. He decided to groom me as his successor and began teaching me every little detail about the measuring machine, how to fix stuff, how to do proper maintenance, why it did certain stuff, and so on. Yes, he was a perfectionist, but so am I, so I really appreciated it. What I noticed in my first week in the company was the biggest problem there. The facility had a massive problem with cliques, clans, and little circles. If you were part of the correct clique, you could do what you wanted and remain untouchable. If you aren't, well, your credit goes to anyone but you, and you are the perfect scapegoat. I didn't care about it much, to be honest. I'm a bit of a rule fanatic, and I stick to them even when everyone else ignores them. For me, this was a well-paying job with a horrible commute, one and three-quarter hours in one direction, so I wanted to stay there for as long as I could, earn my money, and then just take the next job. There was a fourth guy who was operating the machine, in air quotes. I don't remember his name, so let's call him Igor. Igor was part of the same clique as my boss, Manuel, my boss's boss, Freddy, and of course his own boss, Boris, who was also his brother. Igor was working the measuring machine, simply because it was the most comfortable job that he could perform. Usually, he would do the night shifts, as that paid extra. Occasionally, he'd take the late shift, while I always took the early one. This was the least popular, due to the 6am start, but I liked going home at 3 o'clock. Igor was, well, not a light bulb. He was like a wet match in a dark basement somewhere in a black hole. I might be a bit too harsh with him now, but that was all I ever got to see from him. He was also pretty lazy, rude, and arrogant. After all, he had an untouchable status due to his brother's best friend being boss of the entire assessment department. Alright then, that is the background and setup done. Now on to the actual story. 
A good six months after I started there was the first incident with the measuring machine. We received the material in pallets, and it was the firm rule that the rotary blades had to be sorted in numerical order. Each had a serial number and a set number. Stuff went a ton faster and easier if all was sorted clean, 1 to 82, or whatever the set went up to. Occasionally, an order, which were usually two to four pallets, would arrive unsorted at the measuring machine. Then we had to sort them. Since we had to lift the blades out one by one anyway to measure them, it was not that big of a deal, just a tad bit annoying. Igor never finished a set if he could help it, leaving just one or two blades left for measuring. And even when he had to finish a set and start a new one, he would never compile the reports into one Excel. I'm pretty sure he didn't even know how that worked. One morning, I came to work. And like so often, there was just three blades left to measure. I shrugged without care and wanted to just finish the order and start the next. The problem was, the pallets were a complete mess. Completely unsorted, despite them being measured. Igor had worked the late shift the day before and would also work the late shift that day. So I'd actually get to see him for a few minutes when I handed my shift over. This of course meant that I'd have to sort all of the pallets while also operating the machine with the next order as to avoid a delay. The machine was a bit of a bottleneck at the facility. Usually this is a chill post. The blades are never heavier than 22 kg, about 48 pounds. And you have like six to 14 minutes between the measurement cycles to lift them out and exchange them with the last measured blade. Sorting the last order took me two hours of quite sweaty work while also operating the machine nearby, so I was somewhat annoyed. When Eagle came in that afternoon, I asked him in a politely manner why he'd not sorted that one order. He replied in quite a rude tone that he wouldn't do that. I was a bit baffled, and I asked if he didn't know that it was mandatory to do that. He simply replied in a pretty rude tone again, that he wouldn't speak about it outright refusing to speak about a problem what the heck i told him that if he didn't want to speak about it i'd have to speak about it with my boss he just smiled in a smug fashion and told me to do that well i did just that i asked my boss about it in the fashion of hey i thought we were supposed to sort that stuff or did we change that this led to a four-way talk with my boss igor as well as boris Boris wasn't happy at all and my boss was rather embarrassed because it was all clear I was correct But neither of them wanted to admit that their friend had done anything wrong I did my usual ice block impression showing a blank face replying in very accurate and short words and staying all polite and professional It came out rather inconclusive with a kind request that we should please sort the pallets if they came in as a mess Igor just shrugged and it was clear that he didn't care It happened three more times that stuff came in unsorted, but Igor managed to avoid doing it ever. Okay, strike one out of three. Six weeks later, there was the second incident. Every morning before I started, I would maintain the machine like Antonio had showed me to do, cleaning everything and rubbing special liquid into stone tread the machine's arch ran back and forth on. One morning, I came in and turned the machine into manual mode, like every morning, so that I could run the arch to the end of the thread for maintenance. A second thereafter, I heard a grinding noise and instantly stopped the machine. The arch was an air cushion-based runner, Kind of like a hovercraft where the bottom of the arch would always remain a tiny bit above the surface to ensure minimum vibration. So a grinding sound is really, really bad. I quickly inspected the thread and found quite the deep crater in the stone surface, maybe two to three centimeters deep, an inch and wide. There was enough for the air cushion to lose pressure 
so the arch was sliding over the stone surface of the threat. This inspection also revealed scratches along nearly the entire length of the threat, so it was pretty clear that this machine had been running with this crater for a good bit of time. I immediately shut down the machine, informed Vladimir, as well as my boss, that some big stuff was going on here. I also took pictures of the damage with timestamps just out of my usual paranoia. The machine was put out of commission as the arch had taken damage. The entire stone tread had to be reworked and the machine needed recalibration. It was out for over a month due to that crater. That crater, by the way, looked exactly like the bottom corner of one of the blades, almost as if one had been dropped onto the stone tread. And the previous ship before me had, drum rolls, Igor. Of course, he denied that he'd done anything wrong and he could also not recall seeing any scratches or hearing any grinding noise during his shifts. He tried to blame it on me, of course, but I'd reported the stuff like five minutes into my shifts with the last blade Eagle had measured still in the machine. Again, it was clear to all who had effed up, but again, not even a harsh word was given to him. While the machine was getting fixed and reworked, we were put to different work. I got into the pre-assessment team, where the pieces get their first evaluation. I made good friends there, which would serve as my ears later on in this story. Strike two out of three. After the machine got fixed a good month later, we collected a massive backlog to the point that the other departments who did the repair were struggling to find something to do that didn't need measurements. The machine was supposed to work in three shifts, but Antonio had left for his two-year vacation when the machine had been put out for repairs, and the other two colleagues who knew how to run and maintain the machine had left for better jobs. So it was only me and Eagle by then, with me working quite some overtime for good pay all BS aside, hourly wage was really proper. One morning, I noticed something pretty weird. The order I'd started the previous afternoon was still not finished. Again, with just two blades remaining. Every measurement report has a timestamp, which I quickly had a look into. The measurement cycle for these was like three minutes plus one minute exchanging one blade for the next. For some reason, the measurement reports from Eagle Shift had like 10 to 15 minute gaps in between. Some even half an hour. Eagle was still around as he'd had the night shift. I knew he was a bit of a slacker, but these gaps were quite big. So I first thought that maybe there'd been trouble with the machine. So I asked him if he'd had any trouble with the machine last night and he snapped at me that all had been fine. I asked if he was sure and in return, he inquired as to why I was asking. I told him there were some quite large gaps in between the measurement reports and that I couldn't find any error message of sudden stops or such. Igor looked at those timestamps for a moment, back at me, and just shrugged before he went home. That would have been the end of it, if it wouldn't have been even stranger the next shift on Monday. I had, for once, not worked on Saturday, so Igor had three shifts in since I'd last clocked out. I came in as usual, did the maintenance and cleaning, and wanted to check how far Igor had gotten. Four orders had gone through since my last shift. So I assumed that, as usual, I would have to compile the reports. But there were none. I was pretty confused, searching the order's numbers, checking the machine protocol and all. The measuring machine had been running over the weekend with no shutdown or restart visible in the log, but also no measurement reports at all. I called in Vladimir because four orders worth of reports missing is a big deal. According to the rules, I also informed my boss that the machine was standstill due to technical issues. Both Vladimir and my boss came into the measuring room and we three searched for the problem. It took us a while to figure out, simply to it being absolutely not expected. 
someone had turned off the output of the machine, maybe to avoid the timestamps. This again caused quite some ruckus, as all four orders had to be measured again with reports, and production was really struggling now to have something to work on. Again, it's all clear who would screw this up. And finally, Freddy had had enough, but not of Igor. All right then, the time you've all been waiting for, guys, the revenge. The afternoon of the same day, Freddy, the boss of the entire assessment department, came into my measuring room with a nice expensive suit, tie, polished shoes, and went straight into my face. I was currently sitting in my chair, compiling the results of the re-measured first order when he stood before me, giving me no room to get up. He looked down on me and snapped at me that he was sick and tired of me bullying my co-workers. He handed me a letter, which were the signed papers of my contract's termination, signed by him, of course. He informed me that I now had exactly two options. I could either promise to do better, apologize to my co-worker Igor, and admit I was at fault, or I'd be fired immediately. Well, the good thing of being bullied and terrorized for most of your childhood is, you learn to keep a cool head under stress. So, I reined in my first urge, to discuss with him or tell him that such was illegal. Instead, I took the letter and read through it before nodding a few times. Due to my cold, professional attitude, I was known for often remaining silent. So he took my nods as my compliance. He informed me that he was awaiting my written proposal before 2pm. All of the bosses went home before 2pm and came in around 8 or 9. Well, when he turned around and marched out with a smug grin, he left me with a termination letter with his signature on it. Fun fact, when both parties agree to it, a contract can be cancelled immediately without any further responsibilities, besides paying for already issued hours, which go directly through HR via the electronic timestamps of our clocking. So, I had two hours left until his deadline, and I spent it carefully cleaning my workplace, making a backup of my work laptop, according to the rules, and then, also according to the rules, cleaning the hard drive completely. The backup was put into the assigned server with all data correctly named and compiled. But of course, the server for backup data is marked as unsearchable, as to avoid your search list getting cluttered, after all the same parts types came in again and again with the same material numbers, of course. If you know the rules and where to search, you would find the stuff within 20 seconds. If not, well, good luck, mate. It's only like 10 terabytes or so. I made a copy of the termination paper, signed by me now too, and I sent them to my email, which was allowed. I put the original back into the envelope and packed my things up. Then I went up to the office, envelope in hand. The big boss showed his smug smile again the moment he saw me, but he was quickly confused when he saw me with my laptop, work phone, and all that too. I handed him the letter, offered a polite nod, and turned around again. He shouted where the heck I was going, him still holding the envelope in his hand. You terminated my contract. According to the rules, I am to hand over all personal equipment I have been handed by the company before leaving. Exception according to paragraph B are safety shoes and safety glasses. I bid you a fine day, Mr. Freddy. I said this with a cold, calculated voice, trying my best to sound like a lawyer simply because I knew he hated my professional attitude. Then I went to my own boss and piled my stuff on his desk. My boss was confused as heck, asking me what was up. I briefly informed him that my contract was terminated and then once more quoted the rule. Now my boss was also smug, but he wasn't dumb. His eyes went big as he immediately realized that I was the only person he had left that actually knew how to maintain and properly operate the measuring machine. Now, given that he had such a backlog already, other departments relying on measurements had started to enforce short-time work. 
he was lost for words and then rushed into freddy's office to see that termination letter meanwhile i changed my clothes in the locker room went to the gates and asked the security guards to please have a full inspection of my person and my backpack this was likewise regulation for personnel that was terminated on short notice and while the security guards were pretty baffled that i asked to be searched they complied They searched me fully and handed me a written confirmation that I had nothing on me that belonged to the company. Guys, I guess at this point, OP is trying to ensure that they are breaking zero contractual rules whatsoever, literally being asked to search so these bosses, once they realize how integral OP is to their company, can't pull on something that they've done here and say, oh no, you can't actually leave because you did this. That is why OP is being so pedantic and literally asking these guys to search them. My now ex-boss tried to call me all the time on my way home. But I just like having phone calls in public transport. So I simply muted him and continued reading my book until I got back. There, 4pm by now, it was well past his own time to go home. I finally answer his call. He tried to convince me that I needed this job and that all this could be sorted. My reply was this. I will have a new job within a week. You will need to take at least a month to train someone new on the machine. If you had anyone that could train a new person. I tell you what. Give me a solid contract with triple the pay and I come back. Oh, and I want a written apology from Freddy, as well as my own piece when working. He told me that I was completely unreasonable with such demands. Again, I say, so to get this clear, three times I discover massive BS happening, three times you guys try and heat the blame on me, and then you literally try to humiliate me, and Freddy actually fires me, and you want me to be reasonable. Well, I guess it would be reasonable then to just ignore you. Please be well. I hung up then and blocked his number, as well as any other number with which he would try to call me later on. So then, the aftermath. As I'd mentioned before, I still had ears in the company, so I have a good idea of what followed. The facility suddenly had its most sensitive bottleneck tightened even further and then clogged full of concrete soon after. Nobody maintained or cleaned the measuring machine anymore, and being a precision machine, it didn't take that lightly. Vladimir was soon called in multiple times a day to fix a problem, which in return built up a backlog for him in other places. Things that I, or previously Antonio, had fixed within a minute now took hours because Vladimir had to find time to come over and fix it in literally a minute. He tried explaining stuff to Igor, but yeah, that didn't work well. Other departments ran completely dry of work. And of course, they didn't want to bear the blame for missed deadlines, so the whole issue was pretty quickly reported up the ladder. And with nobody wanting to take a hit, it climbed higher and higher before eventually it got onto the desk of the national CEO of the company, the highest entity of the company, this side of the Great Pond. I found that out via a friend in HR. This was followed by the arrival of the proverbial kill squad. You know, the modern equivalent to an executor. A bunch of guys in very tight suits, no sense of humor, cold eyes, and the strict command to find someone's head to put on a silver plate. As far as I heard, even a prosecutor from the USA was amongst them. I was called by the company a month later, asking if I could come in for an interview. Not a job interview, mind you, but they asked me to give a statement on the whole affair. This wasn't a legal thing, and they had no way to force me to make a statement, as it was an internal investigation, but I still happily complied, 
and even gave my signature that I told the truth. I gave them the entire story as accurately as I could and I openly admitted what I didn't know or where I was only guessing. They thanked me and apologized. Honestly, I felt that they couldn't pay me for the time they took from me due to legal reasons. I was all fine with that and I went home. So then, Igor got fired for careless negligence. His brother, Boris, likewise got the immediate boot in the butt. My boss went down under as well. He and Boris were fired for mismanagement. Their boss, however, Freddie, not only got fired, but dragged in front of court. I've got no idea how that went on as he was dragged to the US. But given how ridiculous that justice system is and that he'd been designated as a scapegoat by one of the biggest companies worldwide, it wouldn't be surprised if he had to hold very tightly onto the soap for a good while. Oh, wow. The entire facility went firmly into the red for that year due to nearly all contracted reworks missing deadlines which means a daily fee of tens of thousands per contract. My ears in the company soon sought themselves new jobs, despite in one case being there for 20 years. The last I heard is that the company had to contract the producer of the measurement machine to train new employees as to how to operate it properly. I'd ask for triple my pay. Well, those guys were more like triple the zeros at the end. Oh, and I did find a new job within one day. So I was fired on the Monday, had the interview on Tuesday, a test work day on the Thursday, and I was asked at the end of that day when I could start, which was the next Monday. I do manual measurements now in an incoming quality control department. The boss is a blast, the team is all friendly, and my commute is 18 minutes with an electric scooter. I've worked there for nine months now, and I'm already the de facto team leader for the first sample stuff. And best of all, I'm appreciated for the work I do too. So there we go. We got there in the end. Uh, Admittedly, the setup for that one was quite long, but fair play to you if you stuck through it. I certainly did. And I'm still here to live the tale. He assaulted my girlfriend, so he died in prison. Before I start the story, I need to make a few things clear. All the names in this story are changed to protect our privacy. This story is from one of my older friends, so a few details may be messed up. Also, there is one massive detail or piece missing from this because people will be able to find out who this story is about if I include this detail. So part of this may be slightly confusing. My friend, Joe, was one of the smarter people at school and was kind of a nerd. But when he was 15, he started dating a girl named Lily. Lily used to date the star football player named Max. Max still really wanted to be with her, but he was pretty abusive. After Joe dropped Lily off at her home, he walked back to his. This was after school. He found Max and his gang at his home. Max and his other friend, Sam, beat him up and the others stood around, cheering them on. They'd broken one of his ribs and his left arm and leg. About six months later, after summer break, Sam turned 16 and was given a nice infinity car for his birthday. Joe skipped a period and walked a few blocks to the grocery store and he buys a dozen eggs and a bunch of Nutella. He mixed it with warm water and put it in a squirt bottle. Now Sam's car was parked off campus away from security cameras. Sam had left the back window open and Joe used the open window to unlock the car. He spread Nutella, which really looked like dog poop, all over the seats. He sprayed the raw eggs on every surface of the entire car. I don't know Sam and Max's real reaction, but it did involve them being embarrassed, gagging, puking, and a lot of cussing and death threats. Two years later, when they were all seniors, Max and his new friend, Ben, were at a party that Lily happened to be at. They took her into the back room and assaulted her. I was at Joe's house, I was 15, when Lily burst in, sobbing. Joe went back with her for about three hours. 
At about 4am, he came out and explained what happened. Max and Ben had stripped her down and made her play with them. I don't think I can talk about what else happened on this subreddit. This made Joe mad. A few weeks later, during another party, Joe burnt Ben's car. He had a thing for destroying cars. No one had been in it as Joe wasn't a murderer. Skip forward about seven years now. Joe is 25 and he found out that Max ended up in prison. Joe called up a friend of his who was in the same prison that Max was in. At the time, Joe told me that his friend had beat up Max and that someone else had later killed him and that he didn't order that death. I later learned what really happened. Max had been SA'd by the other prisoners and then beat up. Apparently, Max wasn't very well liked in prison and someone else had murdered him. Joe did not order his death but I won't say that he was anything but smirking when he learned that Max was dead. A few things to wrap up the story. Joe is happily engaged to Lily, Ben was killed during a gang fight, and Sam dropped out of college and had three wives within five years. I've got no idea what happened to him after this. All right, now obviously guys, a few details here are missing, but OP has addressed those in the comments. They say, the part about the parties is missing a major detail about some revenge but I didn't out it in the story because it involves some things that would make who we are immediately obvious to certain people. They continue. I also want to clear something else up. My friend did play a part of getting Max into prison, but it wasn't entirely him. I should have added this to my story though. Then another commenter says, I may know you. Without giving too much detail, was this in the PNW? Also, he deserved it. And then OP replies, if PNW means Pacific Northwest, then yes so look obviously we don't have all the details here but it seems that some people know what was going on and this story definitely is real well what a way to start today's episode um all i can say is karma you do something as horrible as that and let's be honest you kind of deserve it it sounds harsh but so is assaulting somebody i guess the moral of the story is if you're gonna have the body of a star football player maybe stay out of prison and also don't drop the soap you mug all right then moving on to our next story now now because that first one was pretty hard hitting let's go with something a little bit more light-hearted neighbors kept parking in our lots i froze them out this happened around 20 years ago our family owned two apartment buildings three units each We lived in two of them and rented out the other four. There's nothing but these three flats lining both sides of the road for about a mile. Not all have parking. On the side streets are houses and very little street parking. We had more land than most of these units since it was also our home. So we had parking for around 16 cars. Everything was fine for literally decades. Then cars started appearing in our parking lot that were not our tenants. I blocked one in one day. I went outside to see this butthole had driven through our bushes and across the yard to get out. I called the cops. There was nothing they could do. So I called a tow company and had them put up signs. We'd have to call them to have a car towed, but the signs seemed to work. No more random cars. Until New Year's Eve one year, I arrive home and every space is filled. There are even cars on the street blocking in other cars. I'm beyond fuming. I call the tow company. They can't do anything for a few hours because they're so busy. We're in the Chicago suburbs. It's below zero out. I have an idea. I dig out the lawn sprinklers and hoses. I run one hose inside to the laundry room faucet and turn on the hot water. This way, the hose and sprinklers won't ice up. But the cars and ground sure did. Three sprinklers moved every half hour or so for almost five hours. Every car, every square inch of the parking lot, the street by the cars encased in ice. I made it a point to spray ice in the locks 
between the windowsills and glass in the grills i put away the sprinklers and hoses and went to bed 4 a.m furious pounding on the doors doorbells ringing non-stop we just smiled and called the cops waited until they arrived and then went outside the cops were holding back laughter these people were told to park here by their friend who owned an apartment several buildings away the same idiot who drove over our bushes i pointed at the tow sign and told the people to move their cars or get towed in our town cops can ticket on private property with the owner's permission so all cars were ticketed they were also towed since of course nobody could get in their vehicle I wish we had it on video. Now, this is what I love to see. No one directly getting hurt by this. Lots of people losing money and it's all deserved. Imagine the inconvenience. You've come home from a New Year's party and you're like, oh my gosh. Can you just imagine? You're, you look at your car and it's just a block of ice. Just picture that for a second. Sensational. You know what? You could say that it's not fair that all these guys, you know, take the brunt of it because their friend told them to park there. Yeah, I get it. Their friend told them to park there. But they were the ones that parked there without looking around and thinking, oh, can we actually do this and not just blindly take my friend's word for it? If you see a sign that says, do not park here or you'll be towed, private property, maybe don't park there. I think they deserved it. New ownership takes over and Guy goes on vacation for two years due to stupid new rules a family friend was working at the same company since he was 26 up to when he was 64 when the below started i did get his approval to retell the story just not include anything specific so i'm keeping it anonymous and quite general on those details part of the problem was the laws in the country increasing the retirement age from 62 to 65 when he was in his early mid 50s and then again from 65 to 67 when he was about 62 or 63. the old owners were a family and ran the business with benefits to the employees from everything i've heard i think they were giving an extra vacation week after every six years at the company so on top of the standard four weeks he had an extra six weeks at the time of these events also people had access to two weeks of working home office when their job allowed them to or an extra week off for those that couldn't use it so he was getting 11 weeks off each year as a bonus the family owners were allowing people above 55 to use their vacation time as they desired all at once with about a two weeks notice which was just a courtesy according to the guy or segmented or even not use it and pile it up for when retirement came another issue we have in our country is that when you submit retirement paperwork to the government they take freaking ages so it's often the case that they may take over two years to calculate what to pay you and start paying you of course they pay back that time but it's still an issue for the period they delay and calculate you are getting only the minimum amounts. But this guy had already about 44 years of experience and a bit more ahead of him as an engineer and a well-paid one, which meant a great retirement amount. So the owners allowed for people to gather up their weeks of time off at the end of it and take 20 to 30 weeks off while submitting their retirement paperwork. So the money being paid would last them longer into the calculation period. Of course, some didn't use it, but many did. The company then gets sold because the owners saw that the writing was on the wall and their profits wouldn't last for more than six to seven years more and they wanted out. It was due to old age as well. New ownership, part of some Coca-Cola subsidiary, takes over and then starts removing those previous rules. In this guy's position, there were two others. There was him, a second colleague and a third one. They push out the second, fire him, and the third one has a heart attack literally a week later. Rest in peace. They also go and dock his pay by 15% because 
you are making too much for a simple engineer. Now, these three workers actually held a patent for the machinery used on something specific, a second one on how to make that machinery, and a third one on the process of the production of a small but significant part. The old owner had allowed them to put the patents on them when they invented a new, 30% cheaper and 75% faster, way of production years ago so suddenly this guy is all alone in his position at 64 years old and the company hires six people for him to train in that position at the same time they give up to the end of the year for all the piled up vacation time to be claimed notice the wording claimed not used it turns out this guy had been using between one and five weeks for the past decade So he'd gathered 87 weeks of time off, including the current year, but the new bosses hadn't looked at specific cases, apparently. They get him the six new people to train, and they tell him that he needs to have them all trained in six months. He still has 2.3 to 2.5 years until retirement. So what does this guy do? Well, he just goes and takes 87 weeks of vacation time with a three hours notice on a Friday evening, starting the upcoming Monday. Still, no advance notifying is required. They don't pay attention until the next Thursday, when the CEO notices the new six hires sitting around all day with nobody training them. Sorry to interrupt, but can you imagine just taking 87 weeks of vacation? That is mental. The phone calls start, then the emails, then letters get added into the mix, then home visits by low-ranking secretaries and such to deliver the letters, then management visiting his home. By week seven, the CEO has visited three times, but the door hasn't been opened once. His mother-in-law lives literally across the street. She's an old woman, and him and his wife are taking care of her. So most of the time, they're over there and can just see everybody visiting their house. The production is actually still managing to run by itself, but no upkeep is done on that critical part of it. By week 11, he says that line one out of the two breaks down. At this point, they start visiting his house three to four times per day. Two weeks later, the second line breaks down. He obviously has a lot of friends inside and is getting constant updates. At that point, they have only four weeks of backstock to keep the rest of production running. It's December, right before Christmas, and he goes in during week 13. He says he needs to take some things from his locker room and the ceo starts yelling at him you are stopping your time off right now you're coming back to work to fix everything up so he offers to come back for three days under an agreement that the entire week will be returned to him to use for time off the ceo reluctantly agrees and tries to push him also to start the training no budging though only fixing things up and go on vacation again By Saturday, everything is fixed up and he even leaves a couple of basic instructions on what needs greasing every week. Then he's off again. A few weeks pass. The new year has come around and a line is broken again. He gets called back and the CEO pretends like the previous deal will be used again. He goes in for two days, fixes everything, explains a couple more things to the team of six, who by now have other duties, not just sitting around all day. And when he's about to leave, the CEO says... Tomorrow at 8 a.m. The guy says what and the ceo explains you could claim your time off by the end of last year You just ended your claim time off. So you're losing the remaining 69 weeks The guy is furious and just goes straight and reports the company to workers rights They're actually dumbfounded by the time off he's amounted and the lady serving him calls her colleagues to listen in 
They're laughing their butts off by his story and they actually issue a verdict the next day It usually takes weeks, but apparently they had too much fun with this one He is to get all of his time off under the previous rule for the time accrued up before the rules changed So he has his 69 weeks It actually should be 70 due to him getting the one he worked on renewed by their deal But he lost that one and he also has the six weeks from the new year So he goes in with that verdict and gives it personally to a fuming ceo According to the guy steam was coming out of his ears The ceo unwillingly accepts the deal with the guy coming in for three days every five weeks off If he's needed during his time off tough luck they should work to produce backstock a full year goes by that way and the guy is 66 at this point he's been training the six slowly every five weeks and he's on his last visit before he takes his last five weeks off the ceo goes to him and delivers personally a firing notice for the first day he'll be back He plays shocked and leaves for another five weeks This one is a problem because if you apply for retirement even a half year early You're losing significantly more than just that small period and he has about 10 months ahead of him until retirement His last five weeks expire and he goes in to gather his stuff only a coffee cup was remaining He knew this was coming and had already taken everything over time He got an extremely big payout for the firing with no cause the next day He sends a cease and desist letter to the company for the use of the three patents He'd spoken with the guy that was originally fired who had agreed with this revenge plan He'd also talked with the widow of the now dead friend and colleague as well and had both of them on board Actually, he'd been supporting the widow, but he didn't say anything to anyone I found this out very recently from the other guy So now the company has to stop using those machines and his method with zero notice All their competitors have found and built and patented their own versions of the same thing And if they don't find a solution, it's going to cost 40% more and take about double the amount of time to produce the same part of the procedure of production so they would need to double the lines if they went and used the old method while they look for a new one after just three weeks of looking to license the method of one of their competitors and not getting anywhere stock being extremely low by that point they struck a deal with the guy he will be an external contractor who obviously keeps the patents in his name and will be doing the maintenance on his own paid by the hour where he was previously making in a full day and will be on call for maintenance while having one person there at all times for upkeep He went and stole all six of the people he trained and hired them in his new company and put them back to work at that factory again With almost double the pay they were receiving He fully trained them very quickly and was now getting paid loads That ceo was fired for almost stopping production The deal was struck merely hours before backstock ended and he also cost the company a ton of money by firing that guy At the funeral of the old owner, many of the old employees met up and told their different stories and apparently there were three more similar cases with patent holders because the old owner treated his team extremely well. But this guy was the only one to string on the new owners for almost two years by going on vacation and getting paid. All of them had a great laugh, including the widow of the owner and his sister, who were the other two partners in the factory before it got sold. To be honest, the main thing I've taken from that story is how crazy it is that you can have some owners or bosses that are so amazingly nice, like this person's first bosses, the original owners of the company, who after an employee did something so amazing and invented a great way of doing something that would save them so much time and money, let them patent it. I mean, that is just, that is so selfless and amazing. And then you get the new owners 
who just say, you know what, F you, you're doing everything by my rules and you're having no vacation. Like, it's crazy that two people like that can exist. It's funny and it's great because you know what? You did the right thing here and just literally abuse your power. Good stuff. I really think the new owners should have just done more research and found out what was going on in the company before they came in. Like, do your due diligence. Don't just go in and then expect everything to be the way you think it's gonna be. If someone's owed 70 plus weeks of vacation, then they're gonna take it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's your own fault that you didn't realize that before buying a company. A man harassed me and I got his retirement benefits taken away. So this took place over three years, give or take some. I, a 29-year-old woman, left the military and picked up a contracting job in the same field. While I was starting my new career, I was also leaving an unhappy and abusive marriage. My ex-husband, a 29-year-old, was a store manager at a GameStop, and when asked if he gave military discount, he would give military discount and ask if people knew me on base and what I was up to. A man we will call Bubble Base, around 35 years old, actually worked for me and the two of them bonded over their mutual hate for women. Bubble Base would refer to me as a whore and slut at work and even went so far as to attempt to get my home address to give to my ex. I reported the incidents through proper channels and had to get a new apartment, but unsurprisingly, the military did nothing to Bubble Base. So I decided to keep my eyes on him and wait until he made another misstep. Over the next three years working with him, it was horrible. He would undermine my authority in the section by telling junior people I was stupid, being intentionally insubordinate, and publicly talking about how he was exploiting the foster care system to make money off the children he was supposed to be taking care of. About a year ago now, another girl, who was 20 years old, came to me and told me that Bubble Base was approaching her in a way that made her uncomfortable. When I pulled up their chat logs, Bubble Base was begging her to have sex with him, even though he was married and she was repeatedly telling him she wasn't interested. I convinced the girl to report Bubble Base despite her hesitation. During the investigation, while I was interviewed, I spared no detail about what exactly Bubble Base was doing and saying to include fraud, waste, and abuse of government assets and systems. I kept a literal trash list with dates and times. As things turned out, there were about four other women at our base that Bubble Base was sexually harassing. Bubble Base went to non-judicial punishment this week and lost everything. He had 18 years in the military and was two years away from a full retirement. He lost his clearance. He lost his foster children. He lost his honorable discharge. He is literally starting life over in his 30s with a discharge that shows he sexually harasses women with no benefits and 18 years of training in a job field that is only relevant if he has a clearance. Well, OP, I think I speak on behalf of absolutely everyone when I say thank you. Not only for helping the women involved in this story, but probably countless others as well. The kids that this dude were looking after, but also just for ruining his life because ultimately, that is what he deserved. Want to have your cake and eat it too? Two-timing baby daddy gets his just desserts. For context, years ago, I, a 20-year-old woman, and the father of my first two children, a 26-year-old man, were going through a rough time in our relationship. He was working the night shift as a janitor in a nursing home while I was going to college for nursing during the day. We had a one-year-old and I'd just given birth to our son three months earlier. 
There was a woman that he worked with that I'd gotten to know pretty well when I'd bring him his lunches. We were friends, or so I thought. He was supposed to be waxing the floors at night when no one was up and about. It just so happened that my cousin ran into him and her having drinks at a local bar on one of the nights he was supposed to be working. Cue a massive fight, we got off early, just friends, blah, 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 won't happen again. About a month later comes the talk. We've been fighting too much. Let's keep this amicable for the kids and stay friends. Mind you, the house was mine. I paid the bills with grants and scholarships I earned through school. The car he drove was mine too. I would be nice and allow him to stay until he got something figured out. Still take my car to work. I still fed him. All that good nonsense. Then he starts being loving again and we continue a physical relationship. I happen to be feeding our son one morning while he still sleeps and his phone goes off. I know, I know, don't look for it if you don't want to find it, right? Turns out he's been carrying on a relationship with that other woman the whole time he's been with me. It honestly would have been fine if that's what he wanted, if he wasn't doing the same with me at the same time. Cue revenge. I crawled back into bed with him, naked, and he snuggled up like he always does. I took pictures from his phone, nice and graphic ones. I sent them to her from his phone, along with a very nicely, in my opinion, worded message explaining everything that he'd been up to and into. Then I got dressed to the wonderful pings from his phone and continued about my day packing his things. He woke a few hours later and went for his phone first thing. I happen to come into the room as he's trying to call her and when he turns to look at me, I can see all the blood rush from his face. He can't even mount a defense as I tell him all about the conversation me and his new girlfriend have had, along with some photos. All his things are now out on the porch, boxed up. I tell him he no longer lives in my house and to leave. He starts to blubber about, where will he go? So I told him that he better call his girlfriend to come pick him up and live with her because he sure as hell isn't using my vehicle anymore and that sounds like his problem and I shut the door on him. I had been with this man-child for six years, given my body, heart, and sanity to this man. Heck, I was even willing to still let him live there, not paying bills, eat there, and drive my car for him to be sleeping with both of us at the same time. Was it petty? Heck yeah, but it was deserved. Oh, 100% it was deserved. That's one of the worst things you can do is cheat on your partner. And I assume that neither of you two women knew what was going on. So if anything, you were helping her out by explaining the situation. Yeah, I mean, from her behalf, it's obviously not nice to hear, but at least she now knows and can move on with her life, as can you. I don't like liars. This happened over five years ago, and it's still one of my proudest moments. I was dating this guy, Dan, going through a custody battle with his ex-girlfriend over their toddler. We worked at the same bar with this girl named Billie Jean. Billie Jean was an old friend of Dan and had worked with him before. She also had previously worked with the mother of Dan's child, Rachel, and everyone was seemingly friends and remaining civil, or so I thought. Billie Jean had secretly taken sides and wrote a terrible affidavit lying about Dan, Dan somehow got a copy of it. I don't remember how the court process went. As I was reading it, I kept getting more and more irate. I hate liars. And one thing I really feel that crosses a boundary is using a child for leverage to hurt the other parents. Billie Jean was knowingly lying under oath and siding with Rachel to prevent Dan from parenting his kid. And he was by no means a bad dad. Well, Billie Jean had enemies 
enemies that I worked with and had easy access to contacts. These enemies had sold Billie Jean a car that she wasn't paying them for. I didn't necessarily like the people who owned the car, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I called them up and told them I came in peace. I asked if they had Billie Jean's address to get back their car. They did not. I passed off Billie Jean's info and waited for her to call me. Now, I was one of two people who could have ratted out the location of the car. And when Billie Jean called me to tell me her car got repoed, she said, I have no idea who could have done it. It would either have been you or my ex, Robbie. I tell her casually, I don't think it was Robbie. And I swear up and down, she responded with, well, who would have done it then? I held back laughter and finished the conversation with a half-assed, oh, I don't know, that's so weird type comment until she hung up. Dan was next to me in the car snickering. Dan once shared custody of his child and Billie Jean lost her bar job because she didn't have transportation to work an hour away. To this day, I wonder if she ever pieced together that it was me. I don't like liars. Well, fair play to OP for getting the right justice in the end because there is nothing worse, not that I know, but I can only imagine than knowing that you're a good parent and not having access to your child. Guys, if any of you are watching or listening and you're in that situation or you know someone that is, my heart goes out to you. That must be literally terrible. I mean, having your car repoed, therefore not being able to go to work and then losing your job is a close second, but hey, uh, not being able to see your kid, a lot worse. Mum takes down the HOA from the inside. My neighborhood does not have a homeowners association. At least, not anymore. When my parents first moved in, with my older sibling maybe two years old, and with me as a little glowworm, there was an HOA. They took money from the neighborhood in exchange for their services. At first, and for quite a while, my parents just kind of shrugged it off. The HOA shoveled the snow off the streets in winter and dealt with trash collection, so they were doing something worthwhile, right? Ha, no. The city controlled the snow plows and garbage trucks, not the HOA. But still, there was the illusion of efforts. And besides, one summer they decided to contact a company to plant new trees all over the neighborhood. The fact that the company was owned by the son of the head of the HOA was totally coincidental. Those trees were the beginning of the end for the homeowners association. Why? Well, my grandma on my dad's side was visiting when they came around to plant the trees. My grandma, who was a certified master gardener, And so she stared through the windows of our house as the guys planted the trees, just dropped the saplings on the grass, still with their roots inside the bag they came in. No holes dug, no holes cut, just a bagged sapling lying on the grass like a pathetic and sad stick. The saplings laid there all night. No one came back to actually do their job and plant them. My master gardener grandma mentioned offhand that those saplings were going to die unless they got in the soil. And something then clicked in my mum's head. She was paying the HOA money, actual money, every month, while both she and my dad worked, taking care of two very little kids, sending us to daycare and preschool, and arranging babysitters and feeding us. And the homeowners association was just going to pull this half-assed BS instead of do what she was paying them for? No. No freaking way. So she showed up to the head of the HOA's house and basically demanded that the trees get planted properly like she's apparently paying them for. The head of the HOA, so excited for someone that actually cared about the neighborhood, then made their second mistake. They asked if mum wanted to join. She agreed. The trees were planted, but most didn't make it. My grandma was right. First things first, my mum showed up to the next HOA meeting. There were like five people there. No wonder they asked mum to join it. They desperately needed the people. 
So mum looked at this collection of white people, herself included, who weren't actually paying money to the HOA like the rest of the neighborhood. All the contractors the HOA called in were always close relatives of other HOA members and weren't paid by the HOA. After all, their family. So my mum started digging. She spent pretty much a full summer taking down the HOA before she had to go back to teaching in the fall. With me carted along after her and my sibling old enough to be in school or daycare, she dug through the years of paperwork detailing the HOA's financial situation and she found something extremely enlightening. The HOA didn't actually do anything. Well, they didn't do anything to benefit the community. Everything they claimed to do was either covered by the individual homeowner or by the city itself. So they were collecting money from all the neighborhood residents under false pretenses. And actually they weren't even supposed to be in our neighborhood at all. Their association zone was a whole different neighborhood. So what is a working mother of two small children to do while her husband is off at work and she's off for the summer? She goes door to door with pamphlets. Me and my sibling in a stroller as she weaves her way through the neighborhood blocks. The pamphlets explaining the situation and how to stop paying for services you'll never get. Pamphlets that are, of course, written in both English and Spanish to account for the high amount of Latino and Hispanic people in our neighborhood. And naturally, she got a lawyer and an accountant. It put a major dent in her pocket, but if it meant the entire neighborhood wasn't exploited for money each month, it was worth every penny. Another HOA member helped her sift through the documents and data and pass out pamphlets and encourage people to show up to the meetings, but had to back out because of work-related reasons. My mum rolled up to the courthouse, flanked by the lawyer and accountant, her kids safe at home with her husband, and had more than enough evidence to get the homeowners association the frick out of her neighborhood, expose the fraudsters for the frauds they were, and make sure that no HOA would ever push their luck in our neighborhood. It's been almost 19 years now, and no one's even tried making another homeowners association. Well, OP, first of all, can I just say, love to your mother. She is an unbelievable woman. Guys, if you're watching on YouTube and you can comment down below, get in the comments and just put love to your mother. That's all I want to see down there because it's all I believe in. I mean, seriously, what a woman off her own back for zero pay and ultimately she lost money here. Quite a lot of money, it sounds like. She is just getting rid of people that are exploiting others for no personal gain of her own other than just helping out other people that don't even realize they need the help. What a lovely woman. What I'd love to know is what happened to all the money that was gathered over the years from residents in that neighborhood. I assume it was just gone, which is a real shame, but at least for the next 19, 20 years and into the future now, no other money will be taken for no reason old fart gets his revenge this story was from my grandpa who knew this guy when he was growing up in the 1960s so we'll call this guy henry he was old as anything when this story took place in new mexico in the early 1960s henry owned a decent sized ranch now henry was a bad mother effer in his younger days he fought in world war one and was rumored to be a gunfighter in the last days of the wild west He was also rumored to be associated with the mafia in chicago in the 1920s when he went to college henry had about 15 ranch hands and three sons he had lots of cattle and land his youngest son was in the army at this point in time and the other two had other jobs a lot of his ranch hands were black and some were refugees fleeing racial violence in the east at that time so one evening his guys were attacked and beaten up and a couple of his cows were killed by unknown attackers but it was pretty obvious 
it was the kkk after assessing the situation he couldn't really do much as the police force were useless as they only had about two guys in the town police these attacks continued for a couple of weeks Nobody was beat up again, but some cows were killed and fences and stuff were destroyed. Henry received a note saying that he had to get rid of all his black workers by the end of the week or they were going to burn down his ranch and kill everyone and everything. So he kind of said, screw this, and called his son, who just so happened to be on leave. His son and a couple of his army buddies were on leave and they pretty much had nothing else to do but come over. He was also really good friends with a biker gang in the area who he probably helped hide bodies on his land. So they came over and helped him prepare. No, he didn't want the police involved as he was an old guy and did things the old fashioned way. So he sent a couple of ranch hands over to town to get drunk and distract the police. And he bailed them out in the morning. Basically, it was two underpaid cops trying to contain the drunken madness in a bar in a small town in the middle of the NM deserts. So one night, the clan pulled up ready to trash the place. The remaining ranch hands were having a bonfire and seemed completely oblivious to their impending doom. They were strapped though. Henry had his son and his buddies and the bikers hidden in the barns and sheds ready to attack. When the KKK showed up, they had gasoline cans and some weapons and there were about 10 of them. Basically, it plays out that the cowboys all acted drunk until the bikers and soldiers showed up and surrounded the clan and then pulled their guns out. Now, I never heard if anyone was killed or if he just gave them a good scare, but there hasn't been a single racial incident or animal murdered in that town since then. Also, Henry died a couple of years later from cancer probably because he smoked and dipped for like 60 years because it was healthy back then. Anyway, grandpa was cool and knew a lot of badasses like Henry. And there we go. Nobody likes the clan, do they? I mean, if you do and you're a fan of the clan, let me know in the comments down below because I'll block you forever uh so yeah do that but hey uh fair play to your grandpa and for henry for doing that and getting some good justice now obviously this story happened a long time ago 1960s is now 60 years ago which is crazy to think but yeah my point being that it's hard to qualify these events exactly but hey if they did happen and who knows maybe they did maybe they didn't i don't really care good justice nonetheless karma generates interest over time in the third grade i was an awkward kid I had a mean drunk father i struggled to fit in and make friends i was bullied and shunned by other kids one of my classmates let's call him derek who regularly partook in bullying me showed me kindness one day being deprived of kindness or attention so regularly i was putty in his hands he hung out with me during recess when i was usually alone we laughed and talked about girls we like he even apologized for being a butthole to me The reason he was nice to me was because I had bought a very popular, expensive Batman action figure to school with me to pass the time, since I was alone mostly. I saved allowance and mowed lawns for two months to buy that toy. Everyone wanted one. By the end of the day, he asked me if he could borrow the action figure. And like the naive, socially inept kid I was, I trusted him with it. The deal was to return it the following morning. I went home so happy, completely fooled, I never suspected a thing. The following day, he completely ignored me. When I tried to talk to him, he acted like I was crazy. When I asked him to return the action figure, he simply said, You never gave me any Batman. Maybe you imagined it. And when I persisted, he threatened to beat me up. When I complained to my teacher, I was told that it was my own fault for bringing toys to school. I was afraid they'd involve my father, so I dropped it. I could not let my father know, or I'd be called a pushover and have my butt beat and be punished for the next two weeks. What's worse is that Derek told all the girls that I confided to him about fancying that I lusted after them, 
and that I wanked to them. I was a social outcast before that, but at least I was tolerated. But after a smear campaign with the girls, I was a leper. People wouldn't even look me in the eyes, not even the teachers. Kids started throwing stones at me. They sabotaged and vandalized my property. It was hell. I did nothing about it but cry. I was just a weak-willed kid after all. But to this day, I wish I'd bit someone's ear off or something. Anything in retaliation. After a while, the bullying died down. I focused on my studies and started getting good grades. Derek started talking to me again, but I ignored him completely. Sometimes he would repeat, Why are you being such a baby? You didn't give me anything. You imagined it. By the end of the year, we moved houses and I transferred to another school not far away. Things were much better there. I finally had friends and was not as naive anymore, so I was not as easily targeted. But I was still mostly me and still got picked on now and then. Over the years, I became somewhat of a delinquent, and in high school, I got into regular fights. I may have been overcompensating for the lack of a spine I had in my younger years. I bartended in nightclubs, hotels, and cruise liners in my early 20s. This helped me a lot to be more socially adept and to understand social dynamics and human nature. I finished trade school and qualified as an electrician and later as a plumber. I know, water and electricity, but believe it or not, I thought it was ingenious at the time. I started my own business, developed a reputation for excellent workmanship in my local area, and did well for myself. When I was 29, I'm 36 now, I received a call at 2 in the morning for a flooding emergency at a local residence. When I got there, the place was a mess. Water was jetting out of a burst pipe and electrical equipment was shorted. It was highly dangerous. The living room floor was caved in due to a sinkhole. I was met by the wife, let's call her Jane. Hysterical and beside herself, she somehow thought that she was responsible, which I found odd. I assured her that it couldn't possibly be her fault. He arrived not five minutes later. His demeanor was irate. He didn't greet or shake my hand when I offered. I recognized him immediately. It was Derek from all those years ago. He demanded to know why I have not begun fixing the issue yet. I was professional. I told him what I'd told the wife in terms of costs, but I hid the written quote in my vehicle. I told him who I was and I acted happy to see him. I assured him that he was in good hands. After a while of arguing with his wife, he seemed to calm down and joked around with me. I knew I'd fooled him. We talked about careers, kids, our school days. I gave him tips and fake recommendations. We got along great. His trust was easy to gain. He must have thought of me as a complete sucker. I assured him that he was in good hands and this would be fixed in no time. I was careful not to start any actual work on the property as doing the smallest thing would make me responsible for all of it. Derek left after an hour or so and his wife stayed behind. I started my revenge. When I was doing my assessment, I noticed that most of the building did not comply with city regulation and did not adhere to the registered and approved plans. There were multiple safety hazards and all plumbing and electrical work was completed by unqualified and uncertified people in an attempt to save money. Also, the pipe in question had been leaking for a few weeks at least, getting worse by the day and finally causing a disaster which means their water bill would be astronomical at the end of the month unless a qualified plumber endorses a rebate with the municipality. I called my contact at the city, let's call him Donovan, and notified him of all the regulatory violations, safety hazards, and non-city compliant installations on the property. I also told him of the possible water bill. He promised to be there the next day. I immediately started photographing and documenting. The following morning, my contact was there at 10. 
he had a field day. He informed Derek's wife of the calamity that was to come. They'd be forced to tear down all the building additions, remove all the uncertified plumbing and wiring installations, have the plans reapproved, and start from scratch, which is an estimated loss of approximately 950,000. Now, just to clear up, guys, this person doesn't live in the USA, and they say later on to divide the amounts by eight, and you have a rough estimate of the exchange rate. So let's say about 125,000, that is. Still, a lot of money. Derek was there in minutes. He was livid. He quickly threatened legal action, but Donovan simply told him that he had more than enough photograph evidence to have the property declared invalid within a week if Derek didn't comply in writing. Donovan reminded Derek that he does this for a living and that the city has more legal resources to waste money on than he does. I left Derek an invoice for my time just to smear salt in the wound and I took my leave. Later, he called me and called me every name under the sun. I remained silent and he hung up. He went on Facebook to rant about me, which was a bad idea. All of the community stood up for me and it started storytelling competitions where all kinds of people revealed stories of unsavory things that Derek had done to them in the past. Apparently, Derek has always been a butthole. He never changed. One day, he called me and asked to meet. He sounded defeated and depressed, so I decided to meet and see what was up. I met him at a local busy convenience store. I know better than to take Derek the weasel at face value, so I noticed quickly when he laid his phone screen down on the table. I knew that he may be recording the conversation. He apologized for his behavior, which surprised me, and told me that this whole dilemma has all but bankrupted him. He told me he took out a loan for the building additions and cut corners to save money, that everyone does it. He showed me the water bill, which was nearly 80,000, a problem easily erased with a qualified plumber signature and endorsements. I refused. He got irate again. Then he asked me, why did you do this to me? I know I was horrible to you when we were kids, but I don't deserve to have mine and my wife's lives ruined because of mistakes I made when I was a kid. What kind of person are you? You told me I was in good hands. I trusted you. You assured me you'd help me. Then you stabbed me in the back. You quoted me only a few hundred and told me not to worry. I replied, I said no such thing. Stop lying. You told me that it would cost me a few hundred, maybe less. I heard you say it. You promised to help me, gave me recommendations. Why are you doing this to me? Derek, you must have imagined it. I looked him in the eye and he knew exactly why I said that. The same thing he said to me almost 20 years ago, I repeated it just to drive it home. You're being a baby. I never quoted you for anything. You imagined it. He knew I was destroying him financially because of a Batman action figure he stole from me 20 years ago. I could see it in his eyes, but he couldn't bring himself to say it. His expression was a mixture of astonishment and disgust. I looked him dead in the eyes for a few seconds for the effect, then got up and left. I slept like a baby that night and I had a goofy smile all week after. He tried calling me a few times, but I sent him a text stating that further harassment will be met with legal action. Derek, you know what your real name is and what mine is. If in future you read this and realize how I screwed you over, remember how costly that little Batman action figure was to you after years of accumulated interest in karma. The look of despair on your face when you realized why you're ruined was delicious. I cackled maniacally on the drive home from that convenience store. It was time for you to pay the piper. And if you think this will help you legally, go ahead and try. It won't, so don't waste your time. 
or rather do waste as much time and money as you want i welcome being even more of a financial inconvenience to your life you derek okay wow that story was genuinely phenomenal like unbelievable in every sense of the word i love how you put it so plainly but it is literally the case isn't it one batman action figure has caused the absolute total financial ruin of a man 20 years later like that is such a ludicrous statement but it is so true and it's so perfect 20 years of accumulating karma for that one moment where you literally go in and just decimate his entire life he's never gonna financially recover from this nor does he deserve to unbelievable the one person that i do feel bad for not gonna lie is his wife because obviously his bullying back in the day is not her fault but then again she did choose to marry a bully and it does sound like he's continued to bully or just be horrible in general to people for the 20 years after that batman incident judging by what people are saying about him but wow overall i mean unbelievable listen no one likes a bully and a lot of the time they get away with things and never have this sort of justice so to see this happen after 20 years it's incredible. What a story. I'm not the vice principal anymore. Okay. Okay, so this happened at the end of this school year. I posted what was going on in the r slash teacher subreddit and several of the people there told me to post what happened in here. Basically, I was told that all the assistant or vice principals in the districts, other than at the high school, were being let go and a teacher on assignment, TOA, was going to take our jobs. I was not heartbroken over this, but I was treated badly by the new admin team taking my job and my principal's job. Also, I tried to help my staff on my way out and it seems my bosses cared more about their images than my staff's happiness. So, here is the story. Part 1. None of the other admin in my district had received our contracts for the coming school year yet. I was wondering what was going on, but I heard rumors about a pay scale shift and that was the reason for it. I found out Wednesday what is actually happening. Every assistant principal and vice principal in the district, while we have two different titles I have no idea, is not getting renewed contracts except the ones at the high school. Their positions are being eliminated and their jobs replaced with a new position that pays a teacher's salary plus a $2,000 stipend. They're replacing the APs with learning coordinators. Apparently, the budget is the given reason, but I also heard rumors from someone at the district office. Each one of us assistant principals, vice principals, was scheduled to meet with one of the assistant supers on Wednesday. We thought it was about our contracts and we were correct. When I arrived, the acting superintendent was there with the head of HR. I was told about the elimination of my position, but not the reasons why. I was then given an option for the coming school year. I could either go back into the classroom, I could work in the district office, or I could apply an interview for the new positions that is replacing my job. What the frick? I wouldn't care one lick if I was told that my position had been cut completely and I needed to go back into the classroom. I love the classroom and I miss teaching full time. However, to tell me to apply an interview for a job I already have is BS. We were told to give the district our answers by Friday and they draw up contracts or schedule interviews. Wednesday afternoon, I went to see Tony, who's an assistant superintendent and one of the few decent leaders in the school district. I heard from Tony that there was an internal shakeup, but he wasn't allowed to talk about it or even give me a hint about what happened. However, one of the assistant supers was being reassigned, aka demoted, to being the principal of my current school. My principal was not coming back to health reasons. The superintendent was released from his contract and my school's new learning coordinator position had already been filled. Who filled it? A school counselor from one of the high schools who just so happens to be a friend and lackey of the assistant super 
that is the new principle So early this morning, I gave them my answer I decided I didn't need until friday to decide I tried to make sure I sounded professional But I made sure that my message was getting across by speaking with authority I went into the acting superintendent's office and told him that I thought that laying off a bunch of people So they could hire others to do the same job, but at less pay was bs I told him that the way the school district handles certain situations was idiotic I then gave several examples. I next told him that he was going to ruin a perfectly good school with an amazing team of educators by putting a lazy, mean, parent-pleasing person in as its new principal and letting her put a lackey in as her second in command. I said that she was as useless as a screen door on a submarine and as mean as Dolores Umbridge. I finished the three-minute speech by stating that I will work my butt off and finish the school year strong. I will prep things for the next school year so that the teachers have an easier time I also let him know I would never work out or recommend the district to anyone ever again Then I left letting him know that I expect an amazing letter of recommendation by the end of the school day friday afternoon Since i'd earned it for my service the past few years. So what am I going to do now? Well, I called up an old friend on wednesday who is currently a principal at a steam charter school That's part of a chain of charter steam schools and asked if he had a teaching position available He's been asking me every year for the past five to come and work for him He told me he had three openings and I could have my pick of them. So next year I will be a drum roll, please Sixth grade teacher and i'm very happy about it I even get to design my curriculum as long as it meets state standards. Yeah, I could apply elsewhere for admin positions, but I think I need a break from school leadership. I need to love my work again like I used to as a teacher. Yes, there were and are many challenges, and sometimes I hated going to work, but I do love being a teacher. I feel bad for my current staff because the regime changes will hit them hard, but there's nothing I can do about it. I wish I could help them. The most I could do would be to take a teaching position at my current school, But then i'd be miserable with them and be helpless to do anything to aid them So for myself and my daughter who I love more than anything I'm making the move to a new school and going back to what I enjoy doing Teaching i'm even bringing my daughter to my new school to start next year as a fifth grader I asked her if she wanted to stay at her current school or go to the steam school with me and she wants to go with me She was excited since she's visited there several times and loves the technology room the robotics class and the science labs Plus she's friends with some of the kids there already as a goodbye to my staff I'm going out this weekend and i'm going to buy some nice letter paper and scratcher tickets I'm going to write short individualized goodbyes to each of my staff members and at the end I will include the following words. I'm giving you some scratcher tickets My hope is that you're as lucky scratching them as i've been lucky to have worked with you So that's it. I have to finish my contract, but at the end of june, I am free I'm looking forward to teaching full-time again and having a boss who will let me just do my job and not interfere I don't think I want to work in administration again But maybe after a few years i'll decide to work as an ap again now moving on to part two So I put together goodbye gifts for all my staff and i'll be handing them out on friday their last day with the kids They have a bunch of goodies that I posted about weeks ago I was thinking this weekend about how to give the finger one more time to the district office and help my teachers out Even in a small way So I came up with it on sunday nights My district requires each teacher to attend additional training throughout the year These are outside of the regular staff development trainings. They are run by district staff sped teachers and admin 
The training normally lasts one to three hours and the teachers get a certificate for the time spent in the training. Each teacher is required to attend 24 hours of these before the end of the school year. Most teachers take them over the summer, if offered, so they don't have to take them during the school year. So yesterday morning before work, I was making copies of the certificates for all the courses I've run here the past few years. Classroom management strategies, lockdown procedures, social studies strategies, math strategies, reading comprehension, and environmental prints. I'm going to fill them out with each of the teacher's names and number of hours. I'm adding all the times I ever spoke to the staff about these topics and putting down hours to correspond, rounding up to the nearest hour-ish. Wouldn't you know, each of those topics was three to five hours in length. Each staff member will have exactly 24 hours worth of training. I filled out the dates of the training for the 2022-2023 school year. Oh, and I have an attendance sheet with all of their names and have marked them as being present. Notes, I check with the district, and since I'm still an administrator into the summer, I am allowed to run these training sessions over the summer before I leave. Now they can have their summers to themselves and not worry about taking classes during the school year. They can if they wish, but 99% of teachers here hate the mandatory training hours. I hope the staff likes the presence. Part 3. Since Friday, I am no longer a school administrator. I technically have another week to work, but I took vacation during that time because, well, screw them. Now, I spent the last week packing up, giving aid and comfort to my now former staff, and causing problems for the new administrators who are buttholes. Besides giving the entire staff a year free from additional PDs, I wasn't planning on causing any more problems. Just quietly leave and drive off into the sunset. Shane style. But no, apparently I don't deserve a quiet week. The new principal, demoted from assistant super, and her new teacher on assignments decided, for some reason, to be rude to me. There was only one response to that, I aimed to misbehave. How were they rude to me, you ask? Well, first off, they ordered me to hurry and clean up my office. Apparently, the TOA wanted to start redecorating it. I was literally told, get all your personal stuff out of here ASAP. She wants the office now. I still had a week to work there and I had actual work to do. Second, the new principal tried to steal my personal chair and my personal office supplies and decorations. That chair was a gift to me from a friend. I found her just wheeling it out of my office and into hers. My desk supplies and a banner from my wall were stacked on its sea. I told her it was my personal chair, not the district's. She just said, okay. The very next morning, I found it missing. She'd moved it into her office after I left for the day. Third, I was given a list of tasks to complete by Friday by the TOA, who was in no way, shape, or form my boss. These were not my job to do and are in fact the incoming admin's duty to complete. Stuff the new admin is supposed to do. Things like put together a new staff packet, schedule next year's PDs, fill out and submit request forms, etc. Finally, I was talked down to every single day by the new admin team. I was spoken to as though I were the hired help and they were the royal female dogs. Seriously, I speak to a waitress that messes up my order with 20 times the amount of respect that they showed me. They actually tried to get my attention by snapping their fingers at me. Like that would work. Also, the new principal made some pretty anti-LGBTQ plus comments. I don't like narrow-minded people. So, I decided to do as I was told. I was a soldier, so I know how to follow orders. First, I removed everything that was my personal property. That included my chairs, decorations, the stress relievers, punching bag, etc., the fridge from the office, and the file cabinets in my office. 
Yes, I bought government surplus cabinets because I didn't have any. All my files and all of my former principal files were in there. I'd even bought the manila folder I used in it. So I took every piece of paper out of my cabinets, removed them from my labeled folders, and stacked them on the floor into one large pile. There's no order to how they're stacked. I took my chair from the principal's office while she was in a meeting with parents. I just walked in and rolled it out. She stopped talking to the parents to ask what I was doing, and I responded that I was taking my personal property out ASAP as I was ordered to do. I had an old medium-sized fridge that I placed in the office workroom for office staff to store their food in. But it's mine, so I took the fridge. I brought it right out of the front door and loaded it into my truck. I even took the new admin's food out of it and left it on the table. It is my fridge. I warned the rest of the office staff I was taking it, but I forgot to tell the admin. Darn. I copied all my digital files over to a flash drive and then deleted everything off my work Google Drive. Anything I personally created or designed. I copied all my emails too. I informed the staff that if they need time off next year and need it approved, to submit the forms to me this week. I got several and they're all now approved. I got this idea from someone who messaged me here on Reddit and suggested I do this. Thanks for the advice. I approved every supply list item the staff submitted and even drove to the district warehouse to pick up some items personally. I even approved funds for a second-hand kiln for the art teacher. She found a good one on Craigslist. I'd repaired my desk with bolts and tools from home. I took the bolts back. The desk is now lopsided again. The closet door was broken when I got there, so I repaired it, but I've now put it back as it was when I was hired. The two-way mirror to the detention room was mine. I'd gotten it from a friend at another school, a different district. It allowed me to watch ISS and detention students from my office without them seeing me. I popped that right out and took it home. Now the TOA has a hole in the wall that attention kids can look through. I put together all the lockdown buckets and fire drill bags myself with my own money. So I took all of them back. This I felt bad about, but I'll give them out to the staff at my new school. I put a rush order on all classroom and building repairs and have an approved order to have every classroom repainted. I assembled new staff packets and the new school year binders. Besides the basics of what is required, I've included throughout the binders, in random places, Dilbert cartoons, famous Harry Potter quotes, the lyrics to Nickelback's How You Remind Me, I Kissed the Girl by Katy Perry, All Star by Smash Mouth, and We Built This City by Starship, a map of the area where I marked all the good places to eat lunch off campus, funny far side teacher comics, cheesy teacher jokes, the union contact info, crosswords, Sudoku, and word searches, a list of educational lawyers, just in case. And I also included in the binder the admin Wi-Fi password for them, since that signal is stronger for some reason. Next up, I went ahead and wrote out the PD schedule for next year. Oddly, every Wednesday is listed as free time or work in your classroom. I'm sure they'll change it, but I don't know when they'll find out what it says. I had a master list of donators and partners in the community. It was posted on a whiteboard in my office. I got over four dozen businesses and people in the community to help with various things or just donate over the years. I spent a lot of my time building relationships with them and making deals. I took a photo of it and then I erased the list and took the whiteboard since it was mine. On Friday, I flew the LGBTQ plus flag instead of the state flag. I also placed LGBTQ plus flags in each classroom in case the staff want to display them. Then I got yelled at three times. The first time was when I took back my chair. I was told it was unprofessional to just take it without asking. 
especially with guest presence. I responded with, yes, it was unprofessional to take my chair without asking. The second time was when the TOA found the refrigerator gone. She said that it was community property. I told her, no, it's my property. And I was told to take all my property from the campus. The third time was when I was in the parking lot leaving and they found the piles of papers. The principal flagged me down and told me to clean it up. I told her I was off the clock and that the district never reimbursed me for the cabinets, so I had to take them with me. I'm expecting a call from HR today, asking for my assistance, saying everything back up, since with all my stuff removed and erased, the admin team has to actually put in some hard work. I'd come in, but only for my consultant rates. $75 an hour with a minimum contract of 12 hours. Now for the final part, part four. So, as some of you know, I left the world of being an administrator a few weeks ago. I tried to leave behind some nice gifts when I left. I wasn't looking to cause problems my last few weeks, but the new admin team treated me in a way that was unacceptable. So I decided that Malcolm Reynolds had it right when he said I aim to misbehave. Well, the Tuesday after I left, I did receive a call from HR. I ignored it. I then left for a road trip with my daughter where we went to San Francisco for a few days and went to two Giants games. Unfortunately, they lost both games. While on our trip, HR called and emailed me at my personal email accounts. My work one was deleted by then. I ignored the calls and never opened the emails. My daughter and I then went to Disneyland for a few days of fun and then returned this past Friday. I then checked the voicemails and emails. I was asked begged and then ordered to come to the hr for important meetings it is very important that we speak to you as soon as possible is what they said repeatedly so yesterday i went into the district office wearing cargo shorts a shirt i got at disneyland and flip-flops i don't work there so i don't need to dress up when i arrived i was originally treated like a visiting vip the hr manager and her assistant tried to butt me up like a pillsbury biscuit After a few minutes of them trying to make small talk and me then letting them know I had plans to go to lunch in 30 minutes, they got to the point. They wanted me to turn over a few things that I took with me. That, though they belonged to me, they said was sorely needed at the school. They gave me a list from the new principal, which included, but was not limited to, my chair, seriously, my refrigerator and appliances, my community contacts board, the people and businesses that I built relationships and partners with that I destroyed, my personally designed forms and worksheets, the two-way mirror, my lockdown buckets and fire drill bags. They also wanted copies of every record I kept and notes I took on the staff and students. The notes that I took on the staff was so I could personalize gifts for them and have conversations with them on their interests. I said no to all those requests. I told the ladies that the furniture and appliances were mine that I brought in. I stated that the chair was a gift to me from a friend and that the new principal can afford to buy her own chair. I also stated that I left any official school and district documents there and any I took with me and or deleted were of my own making and therefore my intellectual property. I also stated that my contacts were developed over the years on my personal time and at a personal cost to me. I also stated that everything I took that I'd submitted reimbursement was never reimbursed. I kept my records and pay stubs. I never saw a red cent from those submissions. They offered to pay me for some of the items and gave me a rough figure of what the district would pay me to return the fridge, 
the forms, buckets, bags, mirror, and contact board. I told them that I did not want to hand them over to the new admin team since they treated me so poorly. They asked me again and tried to reason that some of those things could be interpreted as school property. I told them that they were welcome to try and force me to return anything that was legally mine to them, but I'd be willing to fight it in court. I also told them that those two new administrators made me feel uncomfortable and that their treatment of me could be considered making a hostile work environment, especially when they tried to make me do their jobs for them. I then gave the HR team my lawyer's info. Finally, I wished the lady a good school year in the term to come and left. I doubt I'll ever hear from them again. And there we go. Brilliant story. The best thing about this was you literally did exactly what you were asked the entire way through. Of course, you knew what you were doing was going to be extremely annoying to the management team and they hadn't really realized the full extent of what exactly they were asking. But you weren't going outside the rules. You were literally doing as asked and fair play to you. To me, this feels like it might even be r slash unfinished revenge. Uh, Not a subreddit that I know of, but surely when the kids and everyone comes back to term, you know, the next school year, they're going to fully realize what has happened happened here and what's really gone wrong and how important you were to this institution along with all of your personal belongings that they didn't realize were your personal belongings it's just pretty incompetent from hr and the new management and all i mean asking you to give all your personal stuff without really knowing what that is is ridiculous ordering you to come into meetings with hr when you're not even employed anymore is illegal and on top of all of that asking you to reapply to a job that they just fired you from is crazy the best part of this story by a mile in my opinion is the moment where you unscrew the bolts that you personally bought to fix a desk leaving it obviously broken i mean that is elite i've got to say the tale of the brazilian punisher francisco vital da silva was born in the backlands of bahia and like many northeasterners migrated to sao paulo in search of better living conditions together with his family he went to live in itam paulista in the violent east side of sao paulo working as a bricklayer vital set up a bar The establishment, though, was constantly robbed and vandalized by criminals. Tired of that extortion, Chico began to retaliate against abuse and put undesirable people out of his business. Always armed with a knife for self-protection, he ended up arousing the rage of many dangerous guys. One day, they broke into his house and R-worded his wife and 16-year-old daughter. Chico, disgusted with these criminals, bought some weapons and went after revenge. He ended up killing those guys and left a very clear message. If the police don't act, I'll take action. Thus, Francisco Vital da Silva, a merchant from Bahia, became Chico Pei de Pato, a vigilante who hunted outlaws in the eastern region of Greater Sao Paulo. Chico's fame grew considerably. The police gave him the names of criminals wanted by justice, and he executed them and began to be seen by the population as a great hero, a vigilante who replaced the terrible justice that the state always put on the poorer classes. In the mid-1980s, the police were ordered to kill criminals in the outskirts of the city. Chico did much of the work, He was even called on by the population more than the ROTA battalion itself. Pedro Pato's fame grew so much that the famous newspaper Noticias Populares made a series of reports to talk about his efforts against criminals, which got the admiration of people from all over the state of Sao Paulo, in addition to also gaining popularity and appearing in the stories of broadcaster Afanasio Gizidi, a kind of detainer of the 80s. Chico's fate would change after an argument in a bar, when, while drawing his gun to retaliate, he killed a plainclothes military policeman. Upon learning that the victim was a police officer, 
Pei the Pato already knew that he would not have much time to live, as he already knew the law of the streets. You cannot kill a police officer and go unpunished. Shortly after the crime, Chico fled in his Opala and was considered wanted by the military police. The ROTA was responsible for hunting the vigilante, who, upon contacting Afanasio Jazadji, managed to surrender himself to the DEIC. On the day of his arrest, more than 500 people were at the door of the police station asking for his release. A petition was made, but it was no use. Chico was tried and sentenced to six years in prison, a considerably short time for the amount of homicides he carried out. The low sentence was probably the result of pressure from the 2,000 people who were at the door of the forum on the day of the trial. Pedro Pato was transferred to a penitentiary, where, because he was hated by many criminals and the police, he was killed with 91 stab wounds. The police force was afraid that Pedro Pato would open his mouth about the punishments he committed doing in favor of the policeman. The bandits had a matter of honor to settle with, so, as expected, he didn't last long inside the prison system. So there we go. A pretty incredible story to start off today's episode. This is a true story. It did actually happen back in the 1980s, and um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. A vigilante taking criminal matters into his own hands because the police pretty much weren't capable. Let me know down below in the comments, what do you think of this man? Do you think he was in the right or the wrong? Because ultimately, he did kill over 50 people unlawfully because obviously you can't do that yes the police asked him to do it and encouraged him to do it but it was still illegal and that's why he went to prison let me know do you think he was in the right for doing all that stuff or in the wrong you've got to remember what he went through himself his own wife and daughter getting r-worded by criminals and that is what set this entire thing off so yeah get down in the comments i want to hear your thoughts sometimes i wonder what kind of person i'd be if i'd never been medicated at all six-year-old girl gets revenge on a bully I'll be honest here. Sometimes I think about the time I got revenge on my childhood bully. For context, I was still in the trial phase of searching for the right ADHD medication. I was six years old at the time of the story, and outside of my parents and my daycare and elementary teachers, no one else has heard this before. There was a girl who had just moved to the area and was only there while her dad was stationed at the army camp, base or whatever you want to call it. She was an aggressive, most likely angsty, angry teen who was tired of moving every two to three years. I see that now as an adult. I'm 22, so this was about 15-ish years ago. Anyways, I had to sit at the very front of the bus because I had a severe peanut allergy. This girl, we'll call her Kendra, partly for anonymity, partly because I can't remember her name now, had gotten into some serious trouble and was also forced to sit at the front with me for the next two weeks. Each day, she would take my backpack and throw it on the ground, stomping on it and getting it covered in mud before she'd shove me into the wall and sit on me. Keep in mind, she was a rather heavy set 13, 14 year old, and I was a six year old who weighed maybe 30 pounds soaking wet. I was incredibly tiny, thanks IBS, and she would use that to her advantage. We had folders called moose books, and she, on a few occasions, took my homework and notes out and ripped them up or crumpled them so that I couldn't write well on them, which led to me having to pull my card two times. One particular day, she saw that I'd just gotten a new pair of glasses, some really cool early naughty sunglasses. She took them off my face and snapped them in half before resuming her regularly scheduled crushing me against the window session. I was sobbing in pain and absolutely terrified. The bus was so loud, I couldn't be heard over the noise. The next afternoon, I decided, well, maybe that's a strong word, to get revenge. 
I sucked bruises like hickeys into my own skin on my arms mainly I also bit myself hard enough to bruise for good measure when I got off the bus at my after-school daycare again after being hurt But not like what i'd done to myself my teacher freaked out I told my teachers that my bully had been biting me and punching me hence the bruises They ended up calling my parents who then called the school My bully ended up having to change bus routes and I also got in trouble, but only for lying They reviewed the camera footage and saw everything but the part i'd lied about obviously The thing is though, I didn't feel remorse until I got into trouble myself Only then did I feel bad. I feel like I could have handled it better But hey, not bad for a six-year-old, right? Uh, sorry No, you handled this literally perfectly and the fact that you did this at six years old is stunning Genuinely, I don't think I would have been able to come up with such a good plan at that age In fact, I know I would not have been able to now Some of you might be thinking there was no need to go to that extent of actually giving yourself bruises and biting yourself And I I agree. It's a little bit far, but Realistically, you have to think about the context of this moment would the teachers and you know Maybe principal at the school have really believed a six-year-old over a 13 to 14 year old maybe Potentially, but you don't necessarily know that so this six-year-old op had to really sell it And if you see bruises and bite marks on a six-year-old kid then at that point You really are gonna believe them and that is what happened more of the story If you are getting bullied and trust me on this one You have to go and tell somebody now I'm fortunate enough to have never really been bullied in school I got quite lucky there but for a brief period of time in elementary school primary school in the uk I was slightly bullied I guess but so was everyone else to be fair There was this one horrible kid in our primary school when we were about maybe six or seven or five years old. He was just terrible to everyone. And I remember, I told my dad, and my dad sorted it. And it was unbelievable. So there you go. Moral of the story is, if you are getting bullied, do actually tell somebody. Trust me, the consequences of telling someone, however bad they may feel or seem in your head, are way better than continuing to get bullied. Trust me on that one. Dealing with an entitled neighbor. Just flipping through a few stories and reading about entitled drivers getting their just desserts. This made me think back to my days as a paramedic. We got a call to a house where there was a bariatric patient who had fallen. The patient was morbidly obese and weighed around 30 stone, 420 pounds. This story isn't really about them though. There are many reasons people get to this size and I've never judged, only helped. But no, the problem here was a really arrogant neighbor that we'd come across before. And boy, was this chap a judgmental moron. Our patient had a car and had a disabled parking permit. They also had a council-designated disabled parking spot outside their home, which the neighbor kept parking in. There have been a number of letters from the council regarding this, and a number of parking fines just served to annoy this chap even more. On the day of the story, I took the call that the patient had fallen, and we went to the house. Sure enough, the neighbor was not only parked in the disabled spot, but had parked a second car blocking access to the patient's driveway. I assessed the patient and suspected they'd broken a hip, so I needed to go in. I sent my colleague round to the neighbor to ask him to move the cars. And when they came back, I was told the neighbor had just told my colleague to do one. No problem, time to get the message home. I radioed through to our control center and asked for the fire service and police. We needed the fire service to help lift the guy and the police to do a little parking control. The fire service were the first to arrive and I spoke to the crew commander to let them know what the situation was. A fireman went to the house to ask the neighbor to move the car again and was told the same as my colleague. The message was relayed back and the watch commander just asked me one question. Is the patient's life at risk? I knew exactly where this was going and it was time our thoughtless neighbor got the message. My answer was yes. 
There is equipment I need to get into the house, and the driveway is blocked, preventing me from doing so. The watch commander told the fire truck driver to move those vehicles. It was really satisfying to see both vehicles being pushed down the road by the fire service and the look on the neighbor's face as he came out spitting and screaming was well worth seeing. His complaints to the police fell on deaf ears. They were well aware of his history of obstruction and my clinical assessment that the patient's life was in danger was more than enough justification for the vehicles to be moved. I doubt it made our patient's life any easier and sadly they died a few months later without leaving hospital but it really did bring a smile to their face as we wheeled them out. Honestly, what sort of person do you have to be to first of all say no to a paramedic when they're asking you to move their car? Then on top of that, say no to a firefighter demanding the exact same thing. I'm sorry, first of all, that should be illegal. Second of all, this was completely justified. And third of all, the neighbor should have died and not this unfortunate man. I'm sorry, but this guy's an absolute disgrace and he deserved way more than just his cars getting moved. Now this next story of revenge is quite possibly the most embarrassing I've ever read. Snobby cheater humiliated. So in college, there was a snobby guy named Joey who thought very highly of himself just because he had rich parents. He was the type of guy who broke up with a girl just because he found out she lived in a middle-class neighborhood and didn't wear the right name brands. In fact, he was so stuck up, he thought he could juggle three girls at the same time and not get caught. Well, he got caught. All three girls learned what he was doing and conspired to get him back. There was this big Halloween party at a sorority house and they had a stupid tradition called a cock walk where lots of guys volunteered to get placed inside what were basically plexiglass cages, plexiglass boxes just big enough for one person to stand in and get put on display for the party guests to look at and vote up or down. The winning guy with the most upvotes got a free phone. So one of the three girls who Joey cheated on convinced him he had a very, very good chance of winning the cock walk And she told him how popular he was with the ladies and how everyone was hoping he would compete so they could vote him up joey was so convinced he had a great shot at winning the cock walk so he signed up he even came dressed in a toga costume that he'd spent like a thousand dollars on custom made for him you should have seen him at the party with his nose in the air thinking he was just the greatest thing ever well what he didn't know is that the three girls he was juggling had somehow managed to get word out to almost everyone at the party about joey and his snobby ways and his womanizing so when it came time for the cock walk he was locked inside one of the plexiglass cases and all the female guests lined up to walk past and vote up or down imagine joey's surprise when the first three girls in line were the three girls he was cheating on. Of course, all three girls voted him down. That was probably humiliating enough. But then he had to stand there, locked behind the glass, and watch every girl at the party vote him down too. Girl after girl far past him, including cheerleaders and sorority sisters, and all the girls guys liked to impress. And they all cast their down votes. Many of them were making faces and gestures at him, and laughing. Joey turned so bright red, He tried to get out of the box, but the door, which was behind him, was locked. So he tried to bump his butt against the door over and over to jar it open. But from the front, that only made it look like he was humping up against the glass or something. He was making himself look even more foolish, and everyone was totally enjoying his comeuppance all the more. He was left in the glass case as the winner was announced, which obviously wasn't him since he didn't get a single upvote. And when he finally was let out, 
everyone was cheering and clapping while he walked out believe it or not he actually dropped out of college a few days later do you think it was because he didn't want to show his face around there anymore i'm gonna go with yes can you imagine the embarrassment though put yourself in joey's shoes you think you're about to absolutely dominate this entire room filled with let's be honest probably pretty attractive women and then all of a sudden your entire world comes crashing down imagine the fear the three girls that you're having relationships with without you thinking any of them knowing about each other standing at the front of the line what a coincidence then those three walk past all downvote you as does everyone else in the room oh a terrible experience but hey that is why you should never cheat you deserve this joey unbelievable revenge a classmate's mum tried to get me expelled for selling deadly drugs now they're being sued for embezzlement i picked up a few unsavory addictions in grade 10 cigarettes to benzodiazepines xanax to opioids oxycotton and percocet i was very depressed and i changed schools for my senior year to a smaller school where i knew most of the people i was trying to start new with old friends and new people well some rumors followed me i was still a heavy stoner and so were my friends at this school this got some unwanted attention some people just don't care to hide it it became problematic a few months into the school year when an anonymous letter was sent into the school claiming to be concerned for my well-being saying i was going to school high and smoking with my friends on breaks that's partly true i managed to avoid punishment because there wasn't anything to back it up and the principal and vp weren't happy about the anonymous bs then came a few more letters saying i was selling pills to younger kids pressuring them into taking them they claimed they had 12 plus kids parents on board to pull their kids if i wasn't expelled my parents were fuming some of my teachers started treating me differently kids i've been friends with distanced themselves it caused me to relapse hard and it ruined my grades i made it past it all i didn't get expelled and i passed my courses and i still have a few friends from that school now onto the culprits this lady she'd sent letters to kids i knew saying everybody hated them they should leave the school etc we knew it was her in previous instances because of a whatsapp number she used to threaten someone and anonymous letters written in the same word style got attributed to her she is psycho always meddling even in her younger daughter's stuff who was 10 or 11 at the time keeping her kids from hanging out with kids she doesn't like or whose parents she doesn't like today i read an article about two years after the fact saying their non-profit is being sued by the province i live in for embezzlements she's accused of stealing four million dollars through a few shell corporations some bogus program they literally sold to themselves through another company they own and some other stuff i don't want to get into i feel bad for the daughter she was chill when we were younger but f her mum. i never did anything to hurt anybody at that school i kept my head down and tried to deal with my demons and she didn't let me but karma got her butt so it's cool wow i think that might be the first revenge story i've ever read in which op themselves had no direct involvement to be fair no involvement at all in the revenge and it was karma only that made it happen i mean look fully deserved nonetheless but it's quite cool to see karma just come about on its own and um yeah destroy this woman because she deserved it manager insists i do my job properly happy to comply sir in early 2020 i was hired under the title assistant manager at a local automotive shop we mainly sold tires and alloy wheels for passenger vehicles the company owns several stores i reported directly to my manager who then reported to the owner of the company shortly after i was hired i noticed the behavior of the manager was far from professional he would constantly mock and berate me for being the new guy 
I believe part of this was jealousy and insecurity on his part as I ended up recording more sales under my name within the first few months. He would also knock off work early and start drinking beer while the rest of us continued to work. I remember when he found out that I participated in MMA training sessions after work, he tried to goad me into a fight for his own amusement. Clearly, this guy didn't like me, and I was starting to get the feeling that he was trying to get me to snap or lose my call, and as a result, my employment. I became even more certain of that with what happened next. So, now on to the story. During the few months that I'd worked there, I'd noticed that our takings for the day and sales records didn't match. I would often spend half an hour to an hour after work trying to figure out where the errors were coming from, whilst the manager would simply throw his hands in the air and exclaim that he had no idea how this was happening. The recurring issue seemed to be that our cash takings had been recorded incorrectly. There would sometimes be an excess amount of cash that didn't match up to what was recorded on our sales invoicing software. Other times, there would be less. I was, at the time, an accounting student studying towards my bachelor's degree. I was already suspicious of the cash being out each day. However, given how the manager had been treating me up until this point, I was concerned that any complaint would somehow be twisted and used against me. And boy was I right. Several weeks later, my manager took some time off. During this time, I managed a personal record in store sales and also noticed something interesting. The cash was never out at the end of each shift. I reported this directly to the owner of the company. Given I was acting manager during the time my manager was away, I was expected to report to the owner every day and explained what had been occurring whilst the manager was there. In all honesty, I was hopeful that the owner would be having a word with the manager about the discrepancies. However, I was also wary, as I believed once the owner spoke to my manager that the manager would immediately know it was me who reported this. When the manager returned to work, he immediately approached me with a disgruntled look on his face. I've spoken with the owner. You tried to blame me for the discrepancies? You should focus on doing your job properly, then this wouldn't happen. I was quite taken aback by how angry he was, though I wasn't surprised that he twisted it and tried to place the blame on me. Given his reaction, I'm even more suspicious at this point. He wants me to do my job properly, eh? Malicious compliance ensues. That same week, I got to work. I started paying attention to what customers were paying when they were dealing with my manager. Behind his back, I began examining all of his sale transactions and invoices with a fine comb. As the days rolled by, I started to find evidence of his dishonesty. When it came to a few cash sales, my manager was doing the following. For example... He'd tell the customer the price is $200 if he pays cash. He would discount the price by $50 in the sale invoicing software. He would put the extra cash into the till and record a $150 cash sale. And then, before we did the cash up at the end of the day, he would sneakily pocket this extra cash whilst no one was around. Though he was very foolish, as he clearly couldn't remember the exact amount he'd swindled. Hence why the cash would be up some days, didn't swindle enough, or the cash would be down swindled too much so the conclusion i took screenshots of the discounts he'd been giving on sales and sent them to the business owner along with a report a report with a detailed description of my findings the report also showed that on all days he wasn't there for the cash counts there was no variance when he was there well the owner was infuriated this man had been his trusted employee for years the owner was so infuriated in fact that he ordered my manager to do a mandatory drug test pee in a cup style on the same day he found out and no surprises he failed it turns out the manager had quite the meth habit 
This was most likely his sole motive for stealing cash, and the owner was beside himself. We operate machinery every day in this store, and so the thought of a manager walking around high as a kite wouldn't sit well with any health and safety professional. In fact, it could have landed the owner in serious legal trouble if any accident or injury occurred under this manager's watch. The manager was terminated immediately for violation of his contract and was later taken to court by the owner in an attempt to recover the stolen funds. Safe to say, I was promoted to store manager position shortly after his termination. All right, now the first thing that immediately springs to my mind here is I'm wondering why the owner immediately called a drugs test on the manager. I wonder if they knew each other before this and the owner knew that the manager had some sort of history or some sort of problem with drugs because otherwise it would be a bit weird to just out of the blue randomly make someone do a drugs test. It's almost as if the owner was like, ah, you know who's stealing the money? Yeah, it's gonna be the manager. So, you know, maybe it's on him for employing him in the first place. Maybe he was trying to give another chance. Maybe I'm just chatting a little rubbish. Who knows? The good news is you're no longer getting picked on at work and you got a promotion. So fair play to you. I would like a raise and time off. And I want to start this off by clarifying that it's not my story. It's the story of someone very close to me. And I will leave out a large amount of specific detail because quite a bit of info is not mine to reveal. The build up to the revenge is that this person had a horrible employer. My friend worked HR and managed payroll at what was effectively a nursing home. I don't know that they call themselves that, but it's what they are. The company had a bit of a good old boys club going on, with all of the highest level management being older men who all did less work and got more pay than pretty much everyone else. There were regular complaints from women about being mistreated, and many women were fired for absolutely absurd reasons, followed by their male co-workers getting raises. That in and of itself was bad, but it's not what instigated the need for revenge. What caused the burning desire to get back at the company was when the company fired my friend's manager, who was a woman, because she took a week off after literally breaking a leg badly. The HR department was already badly understaffed, so my friend had to take on the responsibilities of this manager without any pay bonus. She requested a pay bonus multiple times, but was denied each time. A month or so later, the company hires a new manager to replace the old one at nearly twice the salary. Of course, this new manager is an older man. I'm not entirely sure what this guy actually did during the day because my friend continued to do all of the managerial tasks and she knows that for a fact because the guy's account didn't have access to the systems that he needed access to and he never asked for that access. For six months, my friend showed this manager issues with their system, including payroll, and explained that she was not only the only employee who knew how to use the payroll system, but she was the only one with access to her. But the sexist douchebag ignored her and made regular comments about how she was replaceable and useless. One day, she loses her head. She sets up a bot with her credentials to automatically assign her pay each pay period according to her actual salary so not stealing or anything she then carefully plans her next move and puts in her two-week notice right before a large department-wide week off and right before her only co-worker has a two-week vacation she wouldn't have time to train the co-worker even if the co-worker was in the country the manager still dismissed her thinking he could just hire someone who knew what they were doing. Little did he know, she had tweaked with the payroll software over her time there. Nothing super awful, but it was very different from what the base software was. She was the only person who knew how to properly use it, and the only person in the whole company, including the CEO, who had access to the necessary numbers to actually run the payroll. When she leaves, after the two weeks, 
the company has two whole pay periods where they do not pay their employees. They can't. But my friend still gets paid because they never disabled her automatic payment thing. They couldn't. Eventually, they called her and basically begged her to consult with them on their payroll. So for the past six months, she's been paid $250 an hour for five hours a week to run the company's payroll. Fully remote, even though it was an in-person job before. And to top it all off, she doesn't even actually work the five hours. She wrote a script on her personal device to process all the payroll for her. All she's got to do is press one button. She's working another job now, but dang, she really kicked them in the butt for their trash. Wow, so after being horribly mistreated, she's now getting $250 per hour for five hours of work a week in which she only actually presses one button because she's able to automate the whole thing. Genius. So $1,250 for pressing a button. That's a pretty good rate. You know what's not actually been mentioned here? It's the old people that live there. You know, if these are the people that are running it, I feel for them. Because I'm not sure this is the sort of institution you want to be living your final days in. Once again, fair play to OP for absolutely decimating the sexist workplace. It is just brilliant to see. And all I can say is kudos to you. X lies about why we broke up to his mum. So I share the evidence of his cheating with her. Many, many years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I was engaged to a guy who was, well, not the best. He was a man-child who'd refuse to talk about anything other than himself. He was a man-child who would refuse to talk about anything other than himself, video games, and football. I had severe self-confidence issues, and I stayed with him because I convinced myself I was lucky to have one person love me. I never thought anyone would. As part of this, we did everything he wanted, never what I wanted. He picked the movie, where we went on date nights, where we went on vacation, etc. At the very least, I was very close to his mother. We got along great, so much so that we often went out together. When my boyfriend proposed, she was thrilled that I was going to become her daughter-in-law. Unfortunately, after we got engaged, he started acting weird. He got super secretive about his phone and suddenly started going out multiple nights a week with the boys. Then he started cancelling our plans, like date night, to go out with the boys. When I tried to talk to him about it, asking if he'd forgotten about our plans, he yelled at me and told me I was being controlling. So I backed off. At first, I was in denial. I told myself there was no way he'd cheat. He'd proposed. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with me. Why would somebody propose and then cheat? But eventually, I broke down. While he was asleep, I got into his phone and Facebook accounts, where I found sex with multiple women, nudes from multiple women, and worst of all, recordings of him sleeping with other women. I was devastated. I confronted him about it, and he screamed at me. He told me I'd invaded his privacy, and it was controlling behavior like this that made him cheat. We broke up. He moved back in with his mother. He made a big deal of how noble he was letting me keep our little flat, even though I paid for most of the deposit and most of the rent. The moment she heard about our breakup, his mother came rushing to make sure I was okay. I didn't have the heart to tell her the real reason we broke up, because I knew she would come down on him like a ton of bricks. My boyfriend's father had cheated on her, and so she always tried to instill in him and his siblings to never cheat. So I lied and I told her we'd just drifted apart. I got a snotty message from my ex, clearly not happy that his mother went to me first instead of him. He accused me of being controlling, that I'd manipulated his mother into rushing to me instead of him just to spite him. He was her son, so why would she come and see me? I foolishly apologized and said that she'd just turned up. A few weeks roll by and I'm slinking into depression. Then I get a series of nasty texts from his mother 
calling me a whore and other choice names and how she can't believe I betrayed her precious boy She tries calling but I don't answer the phone. I'm terrified of what she'll say It became clear that my ex had told her we broke up because I cheated Probably in revenge for her coming to see me first instead of him fed up with this and devastated I sent her a text explaining that's not what happened She confirmed her son had told her I cheated with multiple men. Why would her son lie? Why would I hurt him this way? Now her baby was scarred for life. My anxiety melted away leaving only anger I still had all the evidence of his cheating backed up on my laptop So I sent it all to his mother every text every sext, every nude Every conversation with women confirming he'd been out with them and stayed the night at theirs, etc And every sex video he made I did send those videos separately warning her of their explicit content and I censored the photos as best as I could A few hours went by then she tried to call. I was too scared to answer Then she sent a text apologizing for what she said and promised me she would deal with her in her words lying sack of trash of a son A few days went by and then my phone blew up But now it was my ex furious that I told his mother It turned out that not only was his mother mad at him But so was most of his family his sisters were mad at him. His grandmother was furious with him Even his dad who remember cheated on his mum, said he was disappointed. How dare you tell her that he texted me now She's saying I have to apologize to you. That's not fair. It was then that I had an epiphany I knew I was done with him. I knew I deserved better. I calmly replied that he was the one who lied I told his mother we just drifted apart. He could have left it there, but he chose to be petty He was the one who caused this. He was the one who cheated and then I blocked his number His mother invited me out one last time so that we could enjoy a meal together She apologized again for what she said and wished me the best She then broke down all the good qualities she saw in me all the positives and told me what a good person I was and told me to find somebody who was worthy of me. I burst out crying. It was a well-needed wake-up call that helped start me on the long road to gaining self-confidence. Her son, on the other hand, got the scolding of a lifetime from his mother, grandmother, sisters, his father, and even his stepmother. Some of his friends even told him what a douche he was being. His mother made him pay her back for all the deposits she's paid for our wedding venues and vendors. The cherry on top though was whenever he made whiny posts online about how unfair it was or tried to say it was my fault His family and some of his friends chimed in to correct him and remind him exactly why he was suffering in the first place It's been over a decade since then I'm now happily married to a wonderful supportive man with three beautiful children I still look back on that moment in life and I laugh at how my ex could have avoided it all If he just kept his mouth shut and not acted like a petulant child dude come on you had it your exit strategy was right there fortunately enough your ex op had given it to you but no you were too stupid to use it and you did too much and that's your fault i mean literally the definition of a man child if you just shut up and stop talking you would have been fine and no one would have ever known apart from you of course op and him and his family would still have loved him but no He kept going on about it now continues to whine about it on social media and keeps getting shut down what an idiot your bully son messes with us and you kill our dog prepare for dad this happened in 1995 in a small rural town in chaco province argentina everyone knows each other here still to this very day my father was an electrician the only one in town so he was constantly meeting people and as he was born and raised here he was very well known by everyone 
He grew up with many of the police officers from back then, and they even had asados together, Argentinian barbecues, at least three times a month for years. My father was not a violent man. This was the only time I saw him do something like this. Enter another man with his son. They were not from town. They'd moved here a year or so prior from Buenos Aires. I didn't really know the man, only his kid, who was an absolute jerk to almost every kid in the block, and he constantly picked on me and my brother since we were the youngest of our neighborhood. Therefore, we couldn't defend ourselves. Our dog, Bucky, wasn't trained since we knew nothing about training, but he was loyal and playful with every kid. One thing for sure though, he was protective. One afternoon, we were playing in the park and out came the bully kid, who at first threw rocks at us, then got closer and started calling us names and we got a little scared. He was bigger than us. We tried to leave, but he blocked us and started hitting my brother. I tried to stop him, but he did the same to me. Bucky heard us crying and came running, jumping and getting the bully's arm at once. He bit, shook and released, staying between us and the bully, barking like mad, until the kid left running we saw him get in his house and a few seconds later his father came out with a sledgehammer bucky stood in front of us hairs raised and barking but the man didn't stop he got close raised the sledgehammer and went straight down to bucky's head he didn't hit him once he hit him five times the first blow i'll never forget the sound of steel connecting with the skull the painful whimper of our dog Bucky got knocked with the first blow. By the fifth and final, his head was caved in. My brother and I were frozen in place, scared to death and crying a lot. The butthole dad says something which I don't remember now and left. We were unable to move for a moment. Such was our fear. Finally, I grabbed my brother and went home. Dad was fixing a fan and when he saw us, he asked us what happened. We told him and he just said, right, okay, let's wash your faces and grab some ice cream. Yes, that's what our dad did. Took us for ice cream. He did a pretty good job to mask his emotions and showed himself to be cheerful with us. But that night, when my brother was asleep and I was playing in the kitchen, he grabbed the wrench, told mum and I he had to fix something in the neighborhood. I assumed it was another neighbor since it was a common thing for my dad to get asked by neighbors to fix things. Nodded to mum. Mum nodded back. Yes, she knew. And he left. He came back some minutes later, told me to go to bed, And that was it. A decade later, we came to know what happened. He went to the guy's house, knocked on the door, and punched the dude so hard it rocked his head back. He told him he would break one limb for each of his children whom he made cry. I can only imagine what he would have done if we were more than two kids. And then proceeded to beat the guy some more in front of his family. Then took the wrench and broke his legs. He then left the house, went home, asked me to go to bed, talked to mum and went straight to the police, turned himself in and was actually delayed until the police went and checked with the other guy. My dad also showed our dead dog to them and the police found the sledgehammer in the bully's house, still with blood on it, and they let my father go. They also spoke with the man when he got better and suggested him to leave the town, since if he wasn't like before, he wouldn't ever be now. To this, you gotta understand the mindset from some small rural towns. We looked at outsiders with mistrust back then, and it took a while for people to get used to you if you were new. However, these people came and were immediately not liked, apparently because of the kid, and of course, the father was also a jerk. Now, I do not condone the actions of my father, nor am I justifying in any way the events that transpired, but as a father now myself, I can totally understand to what extent a man can react 
when their kids are at play. I loved my dad and I have mad respect for him. Rest in peace, dad. We miss you greatly. And there you go, guys. That's the end of that one. Um, now look, I also am not condoning the actions of this dad, but I do want you to get in the comments if you're watching and listening on YouTube. What would you do in this situation if your two children came back to you and told you this had happened? What would your reaction be? Because it's easy for me to say I don't condone it, but in reality, if I put myself in that situation, I have no idea how I'd react. Comment down below. Site manager neglected to take care of my property. So I cost the property management company over 500,000. For some background, I am a 35-year-old man and I own a 72-unit apartment complex. When I bought it, it wasn't in a good shape and I spent several million getting all apartments renovated. The rent wasn't increased for any of the tenants and I made sure that it never went up by more than $50 a year for lease renewals baked into the leases. Shortly after all the renovations were completed, I started the search for a property management company and ultimately settled on one that seemed well aligned with wanting to put the tenants first. As we were doing the contracts, I had my real estate friend also look at them. Between him and my lawyer, they recommended having a clause added in. The short of it is, if there are any legal actions brought up against me for the apartment complex due to neglect of the property management staff, the property management will be responsible for all those costs and any legal fees incurred. Now, this wasn't added in secret and the legal team from the property management company agreed and everything was finalized. They took over the management of the complex a month later. I was fairly hands-off and only visited the site every three or four months. Other than that, I'd have the monthly update sent to me by the manager on sites. A few months ago, I found out that a couple of the apartments had been left in absolute shambles after the tenants moved out and the cleaning crew we had had taken care of it. I didn't find out until after the fact that it was not completely accurate because one of the apartments apparently had a bad roach infestation in the storage closet outside the apartments. After the new tenants moved into that apartment, they brought up the issue to the site manager. In the monthly reporting, the site manager claimed that the maintenance staff tried to address it with traps and bug bombs. I didn't think much of that too and left it at that. Next month, the same thing. And the third month, after receiving the monthly report, I called the site manager stating there is a reoccurring issue and I wanted it taken care of professionally at that point. The month's rent was way for the tenants in that apartment and they were put up at a hotel for a week while the issue was to be addressed. Once they returned to their apartments is when the issue really started. The site manager, either by mistake or by negligence, didn't communicate with the exterminators the extent or location of the infestation. Instead of the storage closet, the apartment itself was fumigated. And after that, the roaches made their way into other apartments in the same building and the nearest building, and the problem got so much worse. That same option was given to all the tenants in the building, waiving the entire month's rent and putting them up in a hotel for a week while the issue was addressed. They all took that offer up. However, one of the tenants decided to take legal action. Now, while I wasn't happy about it, I understood where they were coming from, having their lives disrupted by something that should have been addressed properly to start with. As we were mixed negotiating with them during mediations, my lawyer reminded me of the clause with the property management company and suggested we give them what they want. That is where I started my nuclear revenge. I had the rest of the tenants from the two impacted buildings be suggested to anonymously that one of the tenants had filed a lawsuit for the damage and that maybe they should do the same by getting in on it. Throughout the mediation, I pretended to be outraged at the whole matter. 
The negotiation started at three months of free rent, but ultimately we all settled on one year of free rent for all those tenants. So overall, that came out to 16 apartments with rent averaging from 1,700 monthly that the property management had to pay for due to the negligence of the site manager, equaling roughly $325,000 in just the lost rent that they had to pay for. And the cherry on top, Due to the breach in service for property maintenance, they also have to provide free services for up to six months while I seek out a new property management company, costing them an additional $146,000 and still paying for the legal fees on top of that. Well, I guess if you take nothing else away from this story, it's that contracts are very, very important, especially when a lot of money and also livelihoods are at stake like in this story that is crazy why do they not realize come on it's in the contract you know that if you f up as the property management company you're liable five hundred thousand dollars and you don't do anything mugs co-workers all laughed at my sa so i got them deported i know it sounds bad and maybe i did overreact i was 18 years old had been kicked out of my mum's, and was living with my cheating didn't know it at the time boyfriend while working three jobs to make ends meet i just started at the sushi chain in our small city when one of the chefs middle-aged offered to make me a roll even if it was comped it still had to be entered into the pos system i didn't know how and i asked him to help as he walked around me he made a point of slowly aggressively rubbing himself against my butt an entire backside in front of the kitchen crew who were all watching i left the room to gather my composure i felt so violated and embarrassed after deciding to walk out i went back in to grab my things from the cubby i entered the room to find that every single one of them was eyeing me and laughing at me it was cruel and humiliating on the way home i got pulled over for driving a bit erratically i was extremely emotional i got a 900 ticket i absolutely couldn't afford I was so absolutely infuriated with the chef and everyone there who laughed at me and delighted in schadenfreude at my assault. I guess now it's worth mentioning that they were all clearly immigrants. Now, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but in my anger, I sent an anonymous tip to ICE. A few months later, I saw their Yelp reviews had tanked and all the recent ones were complaining that the entire kitchen had closed, their kitchen crew were all gone, the waitresses were huddled behind the counter talking about lawyers, they didn't serve hot food anymore and eventually they shut down an old co-worker confirmed my suspicions were true as well now look i'm not racist at all i want a revenge and i took the cheapest route i'll admit but in my heart i still believed every one of them deserved it now this is a tough one let me know in the comments down below if you think that that episode of sa was worth this revenge as in was it worth it on all those immigrants to get deported just because one of them did something truly horrific and they laughed i don't know i think it's honestly close without being too harsh and insensitive i think that's close like you've ruined the lives of a lot of people for one incident guys i can already see your comments down below i know you're saying i'm ridiculous but think about it are the lives of multiple people who weren't involved but yes did laugh worth it just because of one incident i'm not so sure and now let's end with a positive nuclear revenge story for once my school actually protected me even though i was harassed outside the school premises this occurred over a decade ago it happened at the end of my senior year of high school i am from india and girls are still afraid to tell others about being harassed because of shame and society i was enrolled in a big school 
There were almost more than 800 students in it, so you can imagine the Russian crowd while leaving. It used to get so crowded and chaotic because there were parents' cars and auto rickshaws waiting to pick up the kids. Some kids are riding their bicycles through the crowd, while others run to the nearby vendors for pani puri and samosas. It's almost like an amusement park. One day, while walking hand in hand with my friend, I spotted this weird, straggling man looking through the bunch of kids. I thought he might be looking for someone specific and didn't think much about it, but I must admit he was creepy. I saw him again a few more times daily, but one day when I was walking with my friend, making our way through the crowd, that man crossed me. I was about to collide with him and try to avoid him, but instead he pushed me and grabbed and pinched my chest area so hard that it began to hurt a lot. He was so smooth with his actions that my friend, who was by my side, couldn't tell what happened. She kept asking what was wrong, but I just walked mindlessly to my auto rickshaw and sat there and told her to go away. She understood and walked away as she used to live nearby. I was so shaken that when I got home and saw my parents, I burst into tears. Because I'm the only child, I was never afraid to tell my parents anything, and I told them everything. My dad was fuming, and that is where our revenge started. I have never seen my dad so angry before. He drafted a plan to trap the sleazeball with his friends. We'll name them Uncle One and Uncle Two. My dad was friends with our school principal. He visited him when I was attending my school the next day, as if nothing had happened, as they told me not to tell anyone. Our principal was great and assured us that even though it happened outside the school, they would fully cooperate to trap the sleazeball. At lunch, they called me into the principal's office and told me that Uncle One and Uncle Two would be scattered in the crowd with my English teacher. The school gatekeeper will be near me, and my dad will be near the shop where I usually spot the man. They instructed me to walk normally with my friend and avoid them as if they were strangers, but to alert the nearest person as soon as I spotted the sleazeball. My dad and others were there the whole day, and at 5 p.m. it was time to execute the plan. As I was instructed, I was walking casually with my friend. She asked me several times because she knew something was odd, but I told her to just shush and enjoy the show. And then I spotted the sleazeball actually harassing my other classmate. And I quickly alerted Uncle One. Initially, it was planned not to hit him and just call the police, but he was caught in the act. So Uncle One dragged him away and started beating him. Soon, my dad, Uncle Two, and the gatekeeper joined him. Then my English teacher handled the situation and dragged the sleazeball inside the school gates and into the principal's office. My classmates surrounded me with questions, and I gladly answered them and stayed outside the gates with them. After a few minutes, I was called into the principal's office where I saw the sleazeball. I thought they might ask me some questions, but the principal gave me some apple juice and told me to just relax. The guy was there crying, begging to let him go, as he would never do it again. He was badly bruised and his clothes were torn. After a few minutes, the police came and took him, and he was giving me such a deadly look that still gives me the chills. My father and everyone else in the room was so happy and smiling as if there was a celebration, and told me that they were so proud of me as I'd saved multiple girls that day. I still don't know the full details, but the school took full responsibility for our safety, put that man in jail, and CCTV was installed within a week, even in a parking lot to cover the area outside of school. Now I wanted to read that story because for all the trash that I bring you, you know, all the schools that would never do this, the teachers that are entitled, the people that are just horrific, this is an example of what should and has to be done in situations like this to save girls, as you said, and just you know, for the benefit of humanity in general. Like, can you imagine if the school said, "Ah,、oh, you know, we don't care, it's off our grounds, couldn't really care less, lads"? That would be terrible. 
and it would happen again and again and this sleazeball would continue to get away with it and that is not what we want so fair play first of all for you op for reporting it and secondly a massive fair play to the school your dad everyone involved for actually doing something about it keeping me up at night with your parties enjoy being shamed on the national news in september of 2020 the apartment next to mine was let out to two young women both students after they settled in a bit it turned out they wanted to have a party no big deal except belgium was in full lockdown at this point due to covid and you were supposed to only have one fixed visitor over but then again to be young again etc so i didn't really care during this time i was working in healthcare i work with the mentally disabled but i volunteered for the ad hoc covid team meaning i got called upon to tend to those residents who were sick and needed quarantining or were effectively diagnosed with COVID. This meant pretty long working hours, and I spent about 10 to 11 hours a day at work with a full hour bike ride to and from. Needless to say, I was pretty tired pretty much all of the time. So I wasn't looking forward to the noise from a party, but I'm pretty chill, and I know that living in the city, some noise is to be expected. So they're having their party, and I can stand some noise and music, but this party was freaking wild. People shouting full on in the hallway, wrecking things, etc. At about four in the morning, I introduced myself to the neighbors and asked them when they could expect their company, plus 20 people, to leave. And if they could refrain from having a party the next day, as I have to work and get up at 6 a.m. every day. So they promised they'd keep it down the rest of the nights, they didn't, and that they wouldn't have a party the next day. Plot twist, they did have another party and then did another one the day after. At this point, I'd been going a full three nights without sleep and was nearing neurosis. Every night I'd talk to the girls and every night they'd be full of apologies and stuff, but nothing would change. I also felt terrible when I had to enter their place because it would be absolutely packed with people and I work with some very vulnerable people at work who I would not want to spread COVID to. This was pre-tests, pre-vaccines, pretty much the knowledge we now have about COVID. Luckily, the weekend came and they went to their parents and I could recover a bit. Suffice to say, I wasn't really liking my new neighbors. During the next few weeks, they refrained from big parties, but they would have a constant flood of people coming over during the night. And by constant, I mean constant. Like their bell would ring 70 times a night and people would always be coming or going. And those people would be drunk and loud. Our communal hallway is pretty much an echo chamber because it's all stone and any noise will travel throughout the building. Basically, I couldn't rely on sleeping at night. It drove me crazy. I could only sleep Friday through Sunday because then they'd go off to their parents or whatever. I couldn't grasp how they could know this many people that would always be coming and going. During one night, while knocking on their door to complain about the noise, I encountered my upstairs neighbor who was also on Reddit. And I decided that we would have to join forces to get this to stop. My neighbor told me some important bits of information. The reason there were people coming and going all the time was because they used their apartment as a makeshift bar or hangouts. During this time, bars were closed due to COVID and all those students were using the big apartment to hang out. Moreover, across the street was another frat house with five boys living there. And that too was a secret hangout. So people would hang out at those two places and cross the street if they wanted a different atmosphere or wanted to see other friends. And the boys from across the street would also come over 15 times a night. Most visitors seemed to be law students or affiliated with them. Basically, our communal hallway was just a part of their cafe space now. So we tried talking to the girls. Then we started to talk to the visitors. None of them had any sympathy for us when we were asking them to be quiet at four in the morning. 
Most of them just laughed at us, as we were the pesky neighbors, no doubt. Even more of them were just so wasted that they didn't know what they were doing. So we started calling the police dozens of times. Most of the time, they weren't let in, and police told us they couldn't do anything. We kept calling as we wanted a record of our calls in the system. Belgium was still in full lockdown at this point, and what they were doing was full-on illegal. Even so, the police told us their hands were tied if they wouldn't open the door. When the police couldn't help, I turned to the next best thing. I'm a social worker, and so I have no problems looking up information and calling around to look for help. And this is what I did. Most places, student unions, police, town hall, were understanding but couldn't really do much. So I acted on the suggestion of the upstairs neighbor and contacted one of the girls, Dean. I shot him a nice email about sorry to have bothered him and taking up his time, but I had this big group of students from his faculty ganging up every night, and maybe he wanted to know about it since they were breaking every possible COVID rule that existed at the time. Especially since me and my neighbor were about to go to the papers with this story, as secret lockdown parties were becoming a thing in the papers at this point. This dean called me back right away, and we had a nice talk about our problems. He told me he was on it. So basically what he did was call the law student girl and her parents. Big drama ensued and we finally got to sit down with the girls and they finally sounded like they were sorry. Tears were shed, for which I had no patience to be honest. We learned that the police had actually been inside a few times and they were issued tickets for having secret parties. Those were 300 euros each a pop, so I've got no idea why they didn't just stop. We learned that they were not happy because the dean had called them up at 11 o'clock and they were still asleep. To which I said, well, that's a you problem. You're still asleep at 11 o'clock. I'm up at six every day and you girls haven't been a bit understanding about that. So we got to feel a bit like we got our revenge and we got to vent, but we kept it kind of nice and parted in good terms hoping that this would be it and we could live together as nice neighbors. But if that were the case, I wouldn't be here, right? You think they would have gotten the point now and would refrain from making noise and partying. Well, you'd be wrong. Basically, what they did was they moved the frat house across the street and started partying there. There were slightly less people running to and fro, but the noise was still a problem and we were now in the middle of the second COVID wave and these people were meeting up with big groups like crazy while I hadn't done so in almost a year. Never mind the people at my work who were forbidden from even going to their own freaking family. The whole thing was just ridiculous. My upstairs neighbor happened to film such a party across the streets and had sent the clip to me. We were thinking about going to the press with our story, but we weren't really sure if it would be a good idea. So instead, I posted the clip of the party on the subreddit of our country to test the waters. It got quite some comments and upvotes, and it seemed most people were also sick of people disregarding the rules and having secret parties. After more chats with the upstairs neighbor, we decided to contact the press and simultaneously go up a step in the university hierarchy and contact the vice rector that had the power to start up a disciplinary case against those students. This person is one of 12 vice rectors for a total campus of about 15,000 students, so quite high up. Things moved fast. Local news actually picked up our story from Reddit and contacted me, and we gave some background info. They confirmed with the police that cops had been dozens of times to our address and across the street and weren't let in most of the time. We mentioned that the university was involved and that we hoped they would finally intervene. The next day, the piece was on their websites. It went viral there and got promoted to the sites of most national newspapers. 
This headline was sensational enough, mentioning the dozens of times police had showed up and also mentioning how healthcare workers were being kept up by these selfish students. At the same time, the vice rector contacted us to take our statements, which we already had prepared up on paper and informed us they would investigate and could possibly start up disciplinary actions. At the same time, more reporters were contacting me throughout the day and we made sure to mention that to her and link the university the printed articles. The next day, while at work, I got a message from the upstairs neighbor that a film crew from the National News was at our doorstep. He declined to talk to them and i would have done the same since this was getting pretty big now but they made a segment anyway and sure enough that night at seven here was my street and a short section about cops standing in front of a closed door a dozen times and the local press cop talking about the troubles of closed doors best part about it was that a student from the offending frat house across the street had let the film crew in and said on camera exactly what we were accusing them of towards the university that they'd been having parties and didn't let the cops in and that they'd done it multiple times i've got no idea what made him think that that was a good idea anyway try not to make a huge story even longer the press died down some time later thank god and the disciplinary action from the uni went through before the hearing we sat down with the girls from our block and cleared some things up we wanted to live like normal people together and we tried to make some amends Because we put in a kind of good word for them, they got the lighter end of the stick. 40 hours of community service and some probation. The guys across the street got 80 hours each, and they each had to write us a letter of apology, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading every time I got one. The sad part is that most of them sounded just like dumb young kids, but that was after getting called out on the news and being part of a disciplinary action but we never wanted to escalate things this far. Some noise is to be expected when living in the same building and we were never going to go to these extremes for some expected noise. But these people went to the extremes and so we were forced to do the same. For the rest of the year, a simple message on WhatsApp was enough to silence any noises we had coming from their apartments. If anything, I hope they learn that even very polite and chilled people can become very upset when presented with sleep deprivation and excessive noise. Yeah, I think that last sentence is so accurate. I mean, it's clear that OP is a very understanding person. They've come across like that their entire post. They know that a little bit of noise is to be expected. The occasional party, whatever, it's life. These people are young, they're students. It's obviously gonna happen, no drama. But when you go to this length, these extremes, being not just selfish with your neighbors and their time and having parties at night and you know stopping your neighbors from sleeping and doing their jobs, but also doing illegal stuff, Yeah, then it's too far. I mean, to be honest, these students are lucky that they only had to deal with these sort of neighbors that were pretty kind and generous, let's be honest. Like, if you'd had worse neighbors here, or I guess even more normal neighbors, less understanding, less compassionate people like OP, then uh, yeah, this could have been a lot more serious. I'm not gonna lie. Ultimately, a bit of community service for going against COVID guidelines, something that was legal in Belgium at this time, is extremely lucky. And you're very fortunate that OP was your neighbor and not someone that wanted to, you know, dob you in a little bit more. Oh, and by the way, I assume a lot of you are wondering where the video is that OP's neighbor took. And um, yeah, it's on screen. Enjoy this. I'm going to narrate it for the audio viewers. Pretty much just across the street, there's a fat party going on. And remember, this is in the height of lockdown. It's not what you want to see. I mean, 
to be fair, you can hear the bass and that is the thing that carries. There is no way you're sleeping through that. So ridiculous. And listen, I quite like a party myself, guys. I'll be honest with you, but not in the height of lockdown and not every single night. Do something else. Now for our next story of revenge. Make a developmentally disabled boy cry, lose your family. My former boss is the worst human being I've ever met. He did all sorts of things to mess with anyone he didn't like. So a while ago, I was at a family event in a local park, walking with a young boy from our family who was developmentally disabled with Down syndrome, Ben. Ben does fairly well, all things considered, but he's always been sensitive to anyone making fun of the way he looks or his condition. We're just having a good time on our little stroll, Ben and I both enjoying the day. Along comes my boss, walking towards him. I'll call him Rob. I cringe at seeing him, but smile and say hello to play nice. He says, There's something you don't see every day. A pair of ugly arsler walking together. At this, Ben bursts into tears as Rob laughs and walks off. I deal with Ben and ignore Rob. I'm super angry and trying to calm Ben down because for a few minutes, he was totally distraught. Finally, I get Ben to focus on how he has me and a lot of other awesome friends and family and that Rob is a stranger and what he thinks doesn't matter. We walked some more and I saw that Rob was at the park with his wife and teen daughter having a cookout and he'd apparently been on his way back to his family from a trip to the toilets when he saw us. Back to being super angry. I went back to our gathering and talked to an adult cousin of mine, Jake, telling him what had happened. Now, Jake wanted to get revenge on Rob, but I reminded him that this was my boss I didn't want Rob to be able to know the revenge had anything to do with me because then he'd make my work life even worse than he already did. So Jake asked me for anything I knew about Rob that might help. I told Jake a bunch of things, but the relevant info here is that Rob liked to drink a particular kind of locally made beer at a certain bar. Robert talked of having a drink there on the previous Friday night while his wife and daughter were away visiting her family. Also, Robert recently told a story at work about his wife's obsession with a particular little green fictional character. Let's call it Yabi Boda. Turns out his wife kept a stuffed Yabi Boda on their bed at all times. Now, I wasn't there for the revenge setup itself because I didn't want Rob to see me, but Jake filled in the details afterwards. It was basically this. Jake approached Rob and put an arm around his shoulders and tried to kiss him. Rob pushes him off. What are you doing? Rob's family is now paying attention. I'm just so excited to see you, sweetie. Friday night was so amazing, says Jake. What are you talking about? Seriously? You're going to act like you don't remember now? I know you're a bit tipsy after all of those local beers at the local bar, but certainly you remember what happened later. What? Nothing happened later or ever. I don't even know your name, said Rob. Really? But you were screaming it on Friday. At this point, Rob turned red. You lying son of Rob's wife at this point interrupts. Listen, I don't know who you are, but this is my husband. I'm sure you've mistaken him for someone else. Please just leave us alone. Oh, no, I'm not mistaken, says Jake. We had the best sex ever on Friday night, and now he's acting like he doesn't even know me. No, I told you this is my husband. You're mistaken. Oh, maybe I am. I guess it was someone else who took me back to his place on, he says, Rob Street and had great sex with me on the bed right next to Yabi Boda. Sorry. Jake turns and walks away. He then overhears Rob's wife saying to Rob, Oh my God, Rob, what is wrong with you? You're gay now? Really? Already long story made a bit shorter. 
Rob's wife wasn't real happy with him anyway And this was apparently the tipping point that made her file for divorce soon thereafter Rob frequently complained at work in the following months about how he didn't care about his wife But really missed his daughter and how much it sucked to live in his new place compared to his old home Every time he complained about his lack of a home life at work I knew he did it to himself when he was mean to a developmentally disabled kid The best part is he never figured out that I was involved at all I mean that is quite possibly the most simple revenge but the most effective revenge that i've seen in a long time literally one conversation to just decimate a man's entire life how good is that and also even though rob knows that none of this happened of course and he doesn't know who jake is imagine being in that position you don't know who this guy is but he's saying the most unbelievably specific facts about you like he obviously knows who you are he knows there's a baby yoda on your bed sheets he knows where you live he knows things about you he knows what beer you like drinking how does that even like how can you even comprehend that I'd be so I'd be so baffled. I mean to be honest with you with all the specific details that jake was giving I might even think that I was there on that day I'd have to hold my hands up and say to my wife. You know what? Look, maybe this guy's right I don't think it happened, but hey, how can he know all this? It's just it's just great revenge It really is and there we go guys that is gonna do it for this one Really hope you enjoyed it three hours of the very best nuclear pro black hole supernova revenge from the past year let me know down below which story was your favorite of course there were a lot in there but if you can just pick one out then uh yeah i'd love to know and i'd love to cover similar stories to that in the future if you are still listening and watching right now i've got to say uh thank you because i for one couldn't listen to this voice for more than 10 minutes let alone three hours uh, very impressive stuff from you if you do for whatever reason want more right away even after this extremely long period of time there's stuff on the screen if you're on youtube stuff in the description if you're listening on podcast platforms and stuff up your bum if you're weird when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89 percent off usps and ups rates and with the stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.